Blog Talk Radio. And welcome to another edition of the Bachelor News Radio Show on the Bachelor News Radio Network at WCOM in uh, Chapel Hill, North Carolina. I'm L.A. Bachelor. We thank you for joining us wherever you're listening. We appreciate you checking in. You didn't have to, and we certainly appreciate you uh, this time. 646-929-0130, the number to get in touch with us. You press one to get on the line. Our chat room is open if you're listening online at blogtalkradio.com. Uh, and, of course, you can ask questions and follow us on Pad Nation at Facebook or um, at Pad Nation 2 uh, on Twitter. I want to go to my first guest. Of course, he is the lead contemporary reporter of the Black College Nines. He's Michael Coker. And, Michael, it's always good to have you on uh, once again here on the show. How are you? Uh, I, I thank you for coming on this evening. I, I wanted to – I know you've got a lot to do between now and, and May 24th. That time, I'm sure, is blowing by now. Uh, but I wanted to talk to you about the inaugural HBCU Baseball World Series between Southern University and the Aggies of North Carolina A&T. Be- before we go into the game itself, how did it get started, and how did the Black College Nines uh, be a part of it? Well, which game are you talking about? Because you, re- you referenced North Carolina A&T and Southern. That was a couple years ago. 
I'm sorry. I'm I'm talking. I I'm looking at the wrong sheet, but I'm talking about the World Series. That's co- the, uh, the 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 game that's coming up. That's the Black College World Series. That is a new chapter in the legacy of historically black college and universities baseball. A new chapter will be written for a black college world series, which is desperately needed. The event will serve as a a stage for an annual postseason invitational tournament to determine a national champion for HBCUs at the small school level for our baseball programs. Uh, The inaugural uh, event will feature eight HBCU teams, uh, that's going to be pitting uh, NCAA Division II versus NAIA programs in 18 tournament. That tournament will take place at the Riverwalk Stadium. Uh, the, it's a Major League Baseball affiliate in Montgomery, Montgomery, Alabama. It's the Montgomery Biscuits. It, and that starts April 28th to May 1st. It is a double elimination tournament. That tournament is... Uh, HBCU baseball is in much need of a national champion. We we need to stop uh, crowning our champions through our conference championships. Uh, we need to have the play on the field to settle. Uh, who's the best HBCU baseball programs out there? There's a ton of talent, a ton of players with a ton of tools. There's also a showcase, not just for HBCUs, but for Major League Baseball scouts as well, and then fans to see that before football and basketball became primary sports, HBCU baseball was a stepping stone to Major League and the National Spotlight. So this tournament is a spotlight tournament on hysterically black colleges and university baseball programs. Which is much needed, and I know – Earlier, you, uh, there was the uh, the Jack Diamond Classic, Lone Star Diamond Classic, and, of course, uh, this classic coming up. Do, do you foresee and do you um, a, a talk about the need to, to have this, uh, not only exposure, but the awareness, uh, not just for the uh, the schools, the historically black colleges and universities, um, but the players and the history of HBCU baseball, in particular, when you have look at the Lou Brocks and all the great players that come out, you know the, the uh, uh, Andre Dawson's and of the world that have played at HBCU schools. Talk about it from that perspective. Well, HBCUs have been a baseball has been around since the 1800s. The very first uh, HBCU baseball team was. Uh, uh, Clark uh, Clark University, which is now Clark Atlanta. That was the very first HBCU baseball program that got put together. The very first game was Clark and, and um, uh, Morris Brown, which was in 1888. And our history of HBCU baseball goes back to the 1800s, and every campus had a baseball team. Now, HBCU baseball was there before the powerhouse conferences, like the, the, like the SEC, the ACC, the Big Ten, the Pac-12. Baseball has been a part of the black culture dating back not only to the 1800s, but before Jackie Robinson, the great Jackie Robinson, uh, the Negro League. It was an honor thing to do this year when the Major League Baseball decided to 
take in the stats of all the Negro League players because it was uh, uh, a professional baseball, and a lot of those players became um, Major League rosters. Now, before the Major League Baseball had its first draft was in the 1960s, they were signing kids out of HBCUs to minor league contracts, and then they would work their way up until the Major League, like Lou Brock, uh, Ralph Carr, and all of the other uh, stars of, from HBCUs. HBCU has always been a stepping stone when it comes to uh, baseball. Uh, uh, Larry Doby was the first American League player, black player, and came from an HBCU. At every institution, even the ones that no longer support baseball, they were HBCUs and they fielded the baseball team. The importance of this tournament and the next tournament that we're going to have, the next tournament that's going to go on is going to be the HBCU World Series, and that's going to feature the Division One teams uh, coming from the SWAC and the MEAC uh, in, in the Black College 9 Top 10 Bowl. Now, that theme will be more HBCU-related, and because a lot of those teams, they, they HBCU get drafted every year. There's... I don't care if it's two, four, six, or whatever it is, they, they grab a kid from an HBCU. So that tournament will, and this tournament will be a springboard for Major League Baseball. We have parameters in place now for this tournament to open back up where our history, our heritage, and our sport will be back in the forefront. Because if you, and this, what I'm about to say to you is, is for these young kids, is Base football and basketball has a short-term process of you being employed. Baseball has a long-term because of their long-term contracts. You'll make more money playing baseball than you will uh, pro football or in the NBA. And with that being said, you have longer longevity. But it's a sport that requires a lot to play it, a lot of tools, and once you're good, you get invited to the big dance. And that's what was happening back in the day when we had HBCUs, when the HBCU was the stepping stone to Major League Baseball. So we have a wealth of history, a wealth of talent, and our heritage dates all the way back to the 1800s. And this is going to be put on display from April 28th to May 1st at the Montgomery Biscuit Park in Montgomery, Alabama. And that is the World Series, the Black College World Series. If you're just joining us, we're talking with Michael Coker. He's the lead contemporary reporter of uh, uh, for Black College Nine, talking about the Black College World Series uh, taking place, as he mentioned, April 28th through uh, May 1st. Uh, Michael, you mentioned uh, the numbers of HBCU baseball players getting drafted, going on, uh, minors, majors. Um, and I, I, I looked at the numbers. I think it's 16. It was about eight. And then it dropped the next year. Four went back up. Uh, are the numbers, you think, um, consistent enough? How much can they improve? And, and you talked about the NBA and the NFL. Um, uh, obviously, kids want to play it, you know, uh, the Miles DSBN really like to over highlight those uh, sports, if you will. So, 
how much do you think that you know MLB and 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 all the other organizations such as Black College Nine are should reach out to kids to get them involved. In other words, when they're coming to this game, showcasing these games, showcasing these kids that that this game is is the, the game that you and I love, and it's a great game, and it does have, like you said, the longevity. Well, the one thing that I like about Black College Nines is the fact that we're putting out there the product that's on the field from the HBCU uh, pro baseball programs. Now, I think a, a great injustice has been done to baseball by the National Football League and the NBA because they, and the ESPN for promoting them and only promoting those sports when our history – like I stated earlier, it goes back to the 1800s. And if you look at the black stars of yesteryear, you will see that they had ties to HBCUs. And what needs to be done nowadays, see, the NBA and the NFL, those are the glamour sports. Those are the sports where kids spend three, four, five hundred $500 for a pair of sneakers. You play baseball, you will save a ton of money for yourself as the way you really don't really care about it those glamour sports, you're more concerned with extending your playing career beyond the ages of 25, 30 into a sport that allow you to play to 40 years old, and then next thing you know, you're, you're set for life if you decide to go that route. But baseball has always been a thinking man's sport. You think on the field, you think in the dugout, you think Football is a four-minute, a four-second reaction. You react to the play as it's put in process, and then the whistle blows. Same thing with basketball, but there's a 24-second clock. Baseball, you have to think situations through. It puts you into a mode as to where you think about what's going on and what's going to happen. And that's, what, that's the beauty of the ball game. Now, with that being said, I think Major League Baseball has been pretty fair in its assessment of HBCUs. Some people say, and I've said it at times, that I don't think they're taking enough of the tools or the talent that's coming out of HBCU baseball. But the kids that do get drafted, they're getting the cream of the crop. And you don't hear about those kids getting cut their first or second year or their one and done. You'll find out six, seven years that either that kid's still in the minor leagues and he's worked his way up, or he, you know, he had a good minor league career and he ended up on a roster. Because, uh, you know, major league rosters, uh, they get call-ups call all the time. But I think that major league baseball has done its best as far as getting drafted. We have something in place now that's really going to explode and expose and help HBCU out. Former Southern uh, head baseball coach Garrett Jackson is the president of the uh, draft for Major League Baseball, and he's an HBCU guy. So that's going to open up more avenues for HBCU and its players. But, you know, Major League Baseball has done a lot for HBCUs. I mean, beginning of the season, every year for the last 15 years, they've hosted the um, Urban League Inventational between, you know, the SWAC schools in New Orleans and now it's the Andre Dawson Classic, and they recently, uh, last year, 
brought in a MEAC team, and they're talking about bringing in more MEAC teams to the tournament. So Major League Baseball has done its part and will continue to do its part. I mean, they've done wonders with Xavier University, a university that just brought baseball back. Uh, Major League Baseball is supporting that program, and they're playing in that that baseball program is playing in a minor league park uh, for uh, 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 the NAI program that they are. So, I, like I said, Major League Baseball is, is getting the cream of the crop when it comes to HBCU. There was one year where they went and got a ton of talent, but every year we've had a, somebody get drafted from Major League Baseball. Even with the rounds being um, – Last year, they, they cut the rounds down from 49 down to 10 rounds. We still have talent. We still So that makes it even better for us because that means that if somebody gets drafted with 10 rounds from HBCU baseball, you know that he's with the cream of the crop. And that's what college baseball is nowadays. That's a, a great point. Um what do you say to those who have the, the thought process of HBCUs um, and say white ball players that go there? I know with some kids that graduated, uh, I forget the kid's name that graduated from, I mean, that got drafted um, from uh, Delaware State a, a couple years ago. Um, that that hurts the HBCU experience in terms of the opportunities for the black baseball player. And if it's, and if it's a plus or minus for the school when it comes to that. Well, let's, let's be honest with ourselves here. Okay. You can't really look at it as a black or white thing because there's not a lot of blacks that play the sport. Uh, And the good ones, that's right. Major League Baseball. I'm sorry. No, I said that's right. You're right. Well, you see, in, it, the, 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 the issue is is that Major League Baseball jumps on these kids right away. When you got a kid coming out of high school throwing 95, you know, he's not going to go to an HBCU. Major League Baseball is going to see to it that either he's in a minor league system ready to be called up to a major league roster or he's at a Division One program, which is a minor league system, that will get his skills ready for the next level. And HBCUs, we are slowly getting to that standpoint. It is a stepping stone process. So when when if you find one black kid who's really good, and then you have five white kids, it's a no-brainer. It's a five-to-one. And it's just something that a lot of coaches and a lot of people don't want to talk about, but it's it's true. Plus, you want to put a winning product on the field. I'm not saying there's not a lot of black, a young talent for baseball out there, but really there's not a lot of blacks that really gravitate towards it. It takes a really special kid to stick with the sport and stick with the program. I see a lot of kids out there every day because I'm a graduate of an HBCU. I see a lot of kids out there. A lot of kids can play the game. But do I see them going to the next level if you're throwing 88? No. I tell them in a heartbeat, enjoy your college career because it's a stepping stone to a great 
professional career in life with a wife and, and, and having kids and a family. But in, if you're not throwing 95 or if you're not able to uh, hit the ball past the pitcher at 93, then, you know, enjoy your college life and move on from there. Because the cream of the crop, Major League Baseball already knows who's the cream of the crop. And our HBCUs, we're slowly getting there. Uh, our pitching is suspect, but our pitching is good because we do have kids who can throw. But I think that within the next few years, HBCU is going to start making a lot of noise. You know, if you're just joining us, we'll talk with Michael Coker here on the Bastard News Radio Show on the Bastard News uh, Radio Network and WCOM in Chapel Hill, uh, North Carolina. Uh, Michael, what do you say uh, to the skeptics who look at what the NFL tried to do, and I guess they're bringing it back, COVID-19 killed it, where they had the uh, HBCU uh, uh, football combine, which got canceled, but they tried to bring it back. The difference between that and something that is really, uh, uh, I like this sort of round-robin eight-team uh, uh, tournament that's really going to highlight the players. What do you say to the skeptics to say, oh, you know, is it going to really be that effective? And in part two of the question, um, because someone did uh, email me and said, you know, what about the kids that throw 88? And to your point, can they make adjustments instead of, you know, relying on that dead red, you know, number one, maybe to come up with another pitch, a curveball, the slider, you know, some kind of off-speed pitch to, to get to the next level? The answer to the first question is, is in this tournament, we have COVID-19 uh, conditions in place, and our, our policy is to make sure that the programs that are competing in the World Series ha- also have COVID-19 policies and uh, protocols in place so that before they leave, they're tested, while they're tested on the road, and then when they get to the tournament, they'll be tested as well. And if anybody has any uh, had a COVID symptom in the past, we're asking those programs to, you know, maybe not consider that kid so we don't have a reoccurring or anybody gets exposed because this is a serious uh, virus. It's, it, it's really deadly. So the issue is is you have to have parameters and protocols in place before you can move any event on. And we've done that. We're still doing that, and that's going to go on until the last pitch of the tournament. So we're not looking to be a springboard to anything. We want to make sure that the, the public, the players, and everybody involved in this tournament is healthy, and have health protocols that's going to uh, keep some, this thing from spreading the way it has. And then the, 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 to your second question is, it's really hard to find a pitcher who can, I think one of the best pitchers in Major League Baseball is his name is Kyle Hendricks for the Chicago Cubs. He doesn't throw 90. He barely gets to 90. Can a kid do that coming out of college? Yes. But you see, Kyle Hendricks uses every square inch of the strike zone. His pitches are not in the strike zone in the same location. He moves the ball around. And HB, can, can a kid from an HBCU do that? Sure. 
but you got to be able to pinpoint and paint that strike zone at any given time and keep the batter off balance. And that's the key to pitching is you got to have an out pitch, but you also got to get that pitcher to think. You know, if you throw it down the, the middle and he misses, are you going gonna to come back with that pitch down the middle? Yeah, you can, but I would move it around a bit if you're going to try to strike that guy out. Otherwise, if you pinpoint that same location, he's going to park it out of the park. So, yes, the answer to that question is, yeah, well, you can find a kid who can throw 88 and have a bunch of secondary pitches, but it's how and where you put those pitches that uh, will determine to a scout, hey, this guy, I think he can go at the next level with what he's doing. Otherwise, Major League Baseball is about having somebody who can throw 95 with a secondary and a thirdary pitch. I mean, now more than ever since the season has started, you got guys throwing 75 and getting out. But those might throw 75 and they'll come back at a 95-mile-an-hour pitch and make that batter think, what did, what just happened? So I think it can happen in Major League uh, Baseball from HBCUs, but that kid has to understand that he's got to be able to use every square inch of that strike zone and then not convince his coach that he's doing that. He's got to convince the umpire because the umpire's strike zone changes in each game. First three innings, he might not give you the corner. And then the next three innings, he'll give you the corner. And then in the latter part of the innings, he may not give you the corners at all. So you've got to be able to adjust your pitches accordingly and succeed and be good at it and be consistent. You know, uh, let's let's focus in on this uh, this Black College World Series uh, uh, taking place again April 28th to May 1st. I know you're heavily involved. How how were the teams uh, chosen, um, and you know how did you we you come up with the particular divisions? Well, because it's a small school division, our small school divisions for HBCU baseball consists of uh, the NCAA Division Two, NCAA Division Three, which we used to have. We no longer rust is now. They moved a few years ago. They transitioned into a NAIA program and the NAIA program. So we have the NAIA versus the NCAA Division II. Uh, that's how this tournament is shaping out to be. Uh, in, 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 in fairness to the tournament and in fairness to HBCU baseball, uh, this is what is needed. Uh, this is one of the areas where we're pitting because both both are basically the same. You got some really stout HBCU baseball uh, uh, programs, and our Black College Nines top ten poll reflects that, and that is the criteria to get into this tournament is to be ranked in the poll. One of the rankings system and the selections for the seedings is that the teams are ranked in our top ten poll. We're taking the top eight, and then we are, are having an invite, because this is an invite tournament, that there's a possibility that one team that may not be ranked in our poll but is, is or has receiving votes will get an invite based upon our, to, our, our polling and, and the uh, matchups. 
So with that being said, the Black College Nines, our ranking system, we have 45 pollsters across the country who vote in our top 10 poll for the large school, which is the NTA Division One, and the small school, which is Division NTA Division Two and NAIA programs. Our pollsters vote during our season in selecting our top teams from one to ten. So our selection committee, which is coming from Black College Nines, the to participate in this tournament is based upon our top ten poll. You know, uh, I got a um, a email from uh, Michael in Tampa. No, no, no pun intended with Michael, but Michael in Tampa, who said, you know, uh, kudos to what you guys are doing in the BC uh, SG360. Of course, uh, is sponsoring it um, because not only it gives the exposure, but um, you we, you have exposure at the D1 level, and now, of course. D2 NAIA, um, but he also compared it to um, college basketball where you'll get some HBCUs that may have, say, um, a losing record, but they have a winning record within the HBC, the division that they're in. But losing doesn't mean that they, you don't have quality basketball or, in this case, quality baseball. It was, it was his um, comment was. Your thoughts on that real quick? Well, it's the play on the field that we look at. Um, when when HBCU baseball goes up against a, a school with a uh, unbelievable strength of schedule and the, the talent that they have, a lot of those teams really gear up to beat the HBCU because nobody wants to say, hey, I got beat by uh, an HBCU. You take case in point what happened last night. Uh, University of um, Arkansas Pine Bluff ran into the number three ranked team in the nation, and they put 26 runs up on them and only gave them one. And then the night before, yeah. they put up 12 on them and only gave up two. So, it, it, and then they went up against their scout pitching. Um, I, like I said earlier, HBCU baseball, the talent's there. We've, we've got some great hitters who can hit the ball. I think that we're a year or two away from getting what the NCAA has, those stout pitchers, uh, because a lot of kids nowadays, uh, white kids, Hispanic kids, black kids, everybody is looking at HBCUs. Why? Is because HBCUs, our curriculum, our uh, academics, we rival no one. We're right, right up there with the top schools when it comes to student-athletes, honor students, and uh, um, grades, and then our graduation rate. And so kids are seeing this, and they're saying, you know, I can go to an HBCU. The difference is our classes are smaller. We don't have proctors. We don't have uh, um, where the professor has four or five um uh, faculty member that helps him out with the students. You get that one-on-one -on -one experience with the uh, instructor or the professor. And kids are saying, you know, I can go to an HBCU. I can still come out with a, um, a graduate degree. I can, I can come away with a degree and start my life. 
The only difference is on the it, it's on the field, and we don't look at at uh, because we've lost against a better team. We use those springboards to better the team when we when an HBCU baseball team takes on a ranked team or a top uh, power uh, school because it, it 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 helps in the end. Uh, it prepares the season and, and it sends you into thinking, okay, this is what I need to do. This is what I need to recruit, and this is how I need to play the games. And that's what goes on. And I I, I like the, the comment of that kid because if you think about it, we have a bunch of talent. If we didn't have the talent, we wouldn't be able to field the team. That's right. And fielding the team is what it's about. Going back to your point, black, white, doesn't really matter. Still got to field the team. Um but, you know, uh, just a couple of things. I mean, uh, hopefully, you know, I trust what you're saying. You you understand it a lot more than I do. But uh, hopefully we're heading into not only uh, the talent continue to come there. Um, and you, to your point, you know, an A&T has is, is got a great baseball program. And, and, and of course, a great engineering program in terms of the student-athlete point that you made. But hopefully, not only the talent, but maybe even, and it's great coaches, don't get me wrong, in HBCU uh, schools in baseball, but maybe even you see, like you saw Eddie George go to Tennessee State, and the, the, the splash stuff, and they bring in some more talent um, from instead of going to the D1 level, right, as an athlete, also the coaches come to the HBCU, D1, D2, NAIA uh, levels. Um, to play and to coach um, these schools. Before you go, please do let people know about the Black College Night. Incidentally, I'm I'm a proud uh, I, I'm honored to be able to devote, um, you know, with with the uh, top tens in D1, D2, and AIA. But talk about Black College Nines and and you know um, how people can follow it um, and uh, and follow your work, and of course, um, how people can um, hook up with the um, the Black College World Series coming up April twenty eighth. Well, I want to I want to commend you for being one of our posters. Uh, it, it's it's n- not an easy process. People think that you just you know, look at a team and vote for them. No. You have a monotony of teams that you need to look at and compare and compare what they've done. And uh, we're really appreciative of you, uh, L.A., and all of the other 44 members who vote on our poll. But Black College Nines, we are we preserve the legacy historically black college and university baseball, our our wealth, our history, and current news. Anything that goes on the field, anything that is that's within the baseball program, we report. We have six. The top reporters that report not just the historical aspect of HBCU baseball, but current news uh, and everything that goes on on a yearly basis. Uh, Jay Soko is the founder. He's the head uh, historical reporter. Then there's me, Michael Coker. I take the lead for everything. Uh, Douglas Milan, he does a lot of feature writing of historical uh, uh history of the uh, the players that played HBCU baseball, and he does a fantastic job along with Harold Michael Harvey. 
Uh, Hell, Michael Harvey does a lot of, uh, I mean, he, over the years, he's done great things with the SWAC and the SIAC and presenting their conference tournaments, and he, he's back with that. He'll be at that tournament, of course. And then there's my favorite guy, Chuck Gertie. Chuck's in Pittsburgh. When Chuck, when Chuck writes the feature post on HBCU baseball, it gets national coverage. I mean, it's like it just blows up. And I'm like, I've been doing this for a long time, and he writes one piece, and next thing you know, he's got more out there than I do. And that's the beauty of it. And then there's John Winter. John Winters is a unique case. He's an umpire. Uh, uh, and not only that, he's a professor and he's a historian. Just like uh Jay Soko, a black black I mean historically black college university baseball. Black college nines, we report the facts on HBCU baseball. We are a national blog. It is our intent to lead the nation in understanding what HBCU baseball is. We will continue to put the sport out there and promote the sport the best that we can. And we really appreciate uh, the guys like L.A. Bachelor for bringing us on. We really appreciate all of the other HBCUs who are presenting uh, outside of the history of our sport. And and I appreciate you. And, I, uh, of course, we're also you know, uh, proud members of the uh, ACCU Pro Sports Media, which we need to continue to talk about and we will continue to talk about. Um, But I really appreciate you, like I've said to you guys in the past, you know, coming from Connecticut, it's it's no HBCU anything, really. I mean, it stops at Delaware State, really, to be honest. So, I mean, you know, you can move around there. But um, being in this business for so long, I'm learning from you guys um, and and not only I'm excited about this and what you guys are doing uh, because of the history the history of, of, of black colleges and universities but I'm also excited because I love baseball and so we can highlight baseball and bring it you know back to us you know who love the game and, and, and play the game at some level um, then this is always a good thing but I know you got to go I appreciate the time you stayed on the long time you stayed on Thank you so much, Michael, and um, uh, best wishes, and, and keep up the good work, what you're doing. We're definitely going to continue to highlight uh, the Black House World Series coming up uh, April 28th, and, and, of course, Black House 9, sir. Thank you so much. No, thank you. Thank you for having us. Thank you for having me, and God bless you, and God keep you for bringing us on board. Thank you, sir. It is the Bachelor News Radio Show on the Best News Radio Network and WCOM in uh, Chapelville, North Carolina. State. on the line. I appreciate you coming on, sir. Glad to be back, L.A. Thanks for having me. Good to have you on. Uh, once again, uh, always insightful 
always thought provocative articles. Uh, uh, talk about this article and, and, and why you uh, decided to write it. There seemed to be a couple of things that I really wanted to emphasize. First of all, Biden's victory, and then two months later, the victory of the two Democrats in Georgia in the two Senate seats uh, runoffs. I think a lot of it has to go back to um, the work that was done leading up to and then during that unbelievable wave of demonstrations that we saw last spring that lasted into the summer around police violence against African-Americans. You know, it was like uh, the, probably the biggest outpouring of people into the streets in 50 years uh, since the Vietnam War days, since the Civil Rights days. And I think it's always important to remember that power responds to pressure from below. And that's definitely what was happening with that situation where we had uh, Trump in office and then directly after the demonstrations kind of began to slow down, we shifted into gear to get out the vote. And that meant years of work that had been done to beat back some of the voter suppression efforts. So the bottom line is that people's activism and organizing was really a big factor in why Biden won and why the two Democrats won in Georgia. Second thing is Trump's presidency was a complete disaster for the country. I don't, I think most people listening to your show will likely agree with that, but we should not lose fact of the fact that, the United States had very, very serious problems before Trump became president, and many of those problems still continue to today. And in many ways, while Biden has done some surprisingly good things since he's become president, he, you know, is one of the worst of the Democrats from going back to the 70s, 80s on up uh, when he was a senator. Uh, he was backing some of the worst policies and legislation of that time. So, you know, what we need to avoid and which I'm seeing a little bit of that makes me concerned is that people are maybe still, you know, taking a break, too much of a break, I think, uh, from the Biden victory over Trump. And we really need to get back into the streets. We need to really get back to doing the kind of work to keep the pressure on. Now, I realize that some of this has to do with the pandemic. So, Things have been turned down for the last 13 months or so. But um, more and more people are vaccinated. More and more things are opening up. And uh, we need to, you know, and look at last summer. I mean, that was in some ways some of the high point of the uh, highest numbers of sickness and death. And people were out in the streets because they knew they had to be. We had to respond to this unbelievable continuation of this murder of black people, which just looking through what's happening in the last week or so, it still is going on. Another one in Minnesota, a guy pulled over, an army, uh, active army or duty guy pulled over in Virginia. Luckily, he was not injured as far as I know, but it was a completely unbelievably racist thing. And then the last point um, <clears throat> was to underscore the fact that we have these very dangerous white supremacists organizations, some of which are even what I would call fascist, that have been building for years, really took off and gained some of the spotlight during the last four years. 
and they're definitely not going away. Uh, the chances are, unfortunately, that they're probably going to grow larger. And the only medicine to preventing them from growing larger is that we need to do our work better. Uh, we need to branch out into places where we maybe aren't doing as much, and we need to go right to where they are able to draw in um, new members and, and kind of go at it organizationally with them. Um, the big concern is that this could become some kind of a big mass popular movement where you would have more and more working class and poor whites joining in with this. Um, right now, to this point, we're talking about mostly well-to-do kind of professionals, people in different occupations that are uh, kind of above average income and wealth levels. The vast majority of people in this country, including whites, are working class. Not as many of them have been drawn to that yet. Some have, unfortunately, but we need to really kind of nip it in the bud before it gets anywhere any any bigger than it already is. What do you say to people who have um, – uh, I'm looking for the word – protest burnout if you will um that you know yes uh the evil one is gone but yes as you you pointed out biden may be the the least liberal if you will a uh, democrat in some time um but we've made strides and and the people have spoken and and there are people woke as they like to say it and People need to kind of heal at this point. What do you say to them? Well, there's a couple things. First of all, people should contribute at whatever level they can. I think the the recipe for problems is when people go at a frantic pace for a little while and then they have no choice but to fall back and kind of cut themselves off for a couple months because they just did too much. People need to – it needs to be balanced. You contribute what you can and – in some cases, people have family issues, they have personal issues, they have jobs, they have all kinds of stuff that also has to be tended to. So during those times, uh, it's expected that you would be able to pull back, but not stop completely. And if people do pull back, they can always, if they can afford it, contribute money, or they can share information about meetings or this or that or whatever about organizations um, with other folks even with the understanding that I'm not going to be able to make it this week, but you can always go. And the other thing, though, too, is we have to pay more attention to this, um, you know, kind of looking out for each other. We need to be aware of people who maybe are pushing themselves a little too much. In some cases, that's just the way some people are wound, and they can do it, and they can do it for years, and uh, they're pretty much okay. In cases where, you know, people begin to act erratically or it becomes clear that they're not paying attention to their health or to their families, we just have to be more conscious of that. But um, I think that comes mostly through people knowing each other better, and it also comes from we have to make it a higher priority to be aware of these kinds of things. But in some ways, you know, I mean – we don't really i don't know uh, we don't i don't think we really have the luxury too much of getting 
um, well, you know, I need to take time off from this. Uh, the situation's not as bad as it was a year ago, that kind of attitude. Um, people can contribute a little bit here, a little bit there. It can be less at times, and it can be more at times. But um, I think, you know, the better attention people pay to pacing themselves and to seeking support when they need it will help to prevent, I think, some of the stuff that you're describing. If you're just joining us, we'll talk with uh, Andy Piasek here on the Vassar News Radio Show on the Vassar News Radio Network and WCOM in uh, Chapel Hill in Carborough, North Carolina. Andy, I, I was having a conversation with someone who I, I, you know, I shared your article with, with people who definitely are uh, like-minded, if you will, um, but then those who I knew would challenge it because I want them to see and read how how, how easy this is just to understand uh, oppression and and white privilege and 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 the things that go with it the the anger the the hate the the death that goes with it. Not to say that your article co- covered all of that, but it it it, it definitely is thought provoking. And you know, we got into I got into a conversation with one uh, guy who's, who lives in Michigan, and he talked about how you know it's um, this uh, reverse affirmative actions taking place, uh, and black people have uh, come a long way. And he talked about how as a case for the black uh, young a black woman that sued the University of Michigan because she felt that um, they discriminated against her in terms of um, enrollment, uh, even getting in. And Michigan fought back um, saying that because she said the population of state of Michigan doesn't reflect what the the body of, of students in Michigan, and they, they begged to differ. And they said that the population does show um, the two percent or whatever it is in Michigan that reflects into uh, their student body. Um, but I, I bring that up because anybody could throw stats out, and you can't change a person's heart. But right is right, and wrong is wrong. So I wonder how far any of the the, the righteousness that needs to take place will go if people don't want to change their heart. It, it, you, it, the, the more danger I get. The, the Proud Boys and the white supremacists out there trying to bang heads and kill people, and they want to kill their own if they go against their country, as they call, call it, and, and all of those things. But even the more dangerous ones are the ones that don't believe it's, any, it's not any inequality in this country. And, and not only that, want to, to hold on to their power, their money, and all the things that go with it. What's your thoughts on that? Well, my thoughts on it are that there's a lot of different people that we can try to reach. There are people who will certainly not, who will absolutely just not listen. Nothing that we can say will change anything. That doesn't mean that we should stop saying it because out there somewhere we have to believe, and I do believe that there are people who read the stuff or listen to shows like yours who do begin maybe incrementally over a period of time to change their minds about some things. But I think the the key thing, and this is the, the kind of the latter part of the article, um, 
in some ways it was addressed a lot to white activists and organizers because when you're in a situation in a country that still is largely segregated, it's it's primarily going to fall on white activists and white radicals to begin to get as much as possible white working class people and white people in general to support black people's demands for equality and democracy. And that takes living in those communities. If you're already from the community, then you're already there. But if maybe you're relocating, whatever. You have to be somewhere for a longer period of time um, where people know that you're part of this and that you can be there trying to educate people, trying to participate in the things that matter to them. Um, if people's lives are falling apart or their jobs are hard, organizers need to be addressing those issues. And again, now I'm talking mostly now about white people's lives falling apart and white organizers coming in to say, look, you're not working two and a half jobs because of black people. You're working two and a half jobs because the rubber factory that you could have been working in is no longer here and you could have made a decent living working just 40 hours a week. Um, that's like a symptom of the economic system. It has nothing to do with immigrants or black people or gays or anybody taking stuff away from you. Um, so in workplaces, in churches, in community clubs, in uh, neighborhoods, you know, we need to work with people both recognizing and acknowledging the pain of their lives, but also trying to do our work in such a way that we shed light on the fact that this is a economic system problem that can be fixed because there's no reason why we can't change the economic system or fix it or, you know, enact new laws or have new ways of doing things and um some of this work is happening already um it, it's not as visible as it should be and there's not as much of it as there should be but i think really being among people with these problems and then obviously if it gets to a point where somebody's attitude is no screw you you know i got my gun and i'm going to join the local prod boys or the local clan chapter and the hell with you then, you know, we need to be out when they're out in the streets protesting and trying to prevent them from doing whatever it is they're going to do. Because at some point, you know, you try to organize and you try to reason with people, but then if they're out there inflicting violence or doing the kind of stuff that we saw in Washington back on January 6th or Charlottesville uh, back in 2017, it, it it needs to be resisted. You, you know, you're not going to try to oh, convince people, oh, you know, uh, you know, well, give up your clan membership or give up your whatever your membership. We just need to be very clear to them that if you show out in public, we will be there and we will mobilize as many people as we can to try to counteract whatever you're going to do. Yeah, that's a great point. And I think that one of the things though that gets lost um, in in this struggle and you you're right you can't convince everybody it, it's it's no way you can do that um including black people 
who I know that uh, say, you know, look, I mean, black people could be idiots. Black people could be this. Black people could be that. And that's Captain Obvious. Of course, black people can be uh, bad apples and 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 even in some cases, you know, bring some things under yourself. Nobody's saying it's not any crime or anything. But how much does that hurt when you're when the oppressed believes in the ways of the oppressor? Well, I think there's different categories of people who fall into that group. First would be, you know, kind of well-to-do people who are openly declaring themselves to be part of the Republican Party. They served in Republican administrations at a state level, at the Trump level. Um, we saw them. We know who some of them are. And I think even this guy Kemp in Georgia, when he held his first press conference after Major League Baseball announced a thing about the All-Star game being moved to Denver, there was a group of, I don't know, 25 people. I saw maybe four black faces in that crowd. So those are people who are ideologically committed to, for whatever reason, and it is often very hard to try to figure out what the reason is, they are on board with whatever the Republican Party is doing. And I think it's important to emphasize that there really seems to be very little separation anymore between these rights, white supremacist groups and the Republican Party. Some of these new people who are getting elected to office come pretty much out of the white supremacist movement. And it seems like whatever lip service some of them might play, pay to, uh, oh, you know, criticizing this or criticizing that, the fact is that they're almost kind of one part, they're, they're part of a united front almost. Um, as far as other African-Americans who, well, you know, I don't want to get involved. This is, the things aren't that bad. Trump had, did some good things, and I didn't really vote for him, but whatever. I think it's more or less the same thing. I mean, you just kind of start with reality, start with what's happening in the society, start with the fact that people's living standards are falling. That's the majority of the people of the, all races in the country. Start with the fact that there's still this vast gulf between wealth that's owned by the average white person or white family compared to the average black person or black family, that's not something that can really just be waved aside. And I agree with you. You can get lost. People have their alternative facts. If you say something, it doesn't really matter how true it is. If they don't agree with it, they just will walk away and say you're wrong. But I think intuitively people who have any kind of interest in being a part of something positive will recognize um, some truth in what you're saying. And the key thing is to try to activate people, um, activate people around whatever it is that concerns them where they live and lend support to it. Um, and only in those cases where it's some kind of destructive, negative thing would we sort of say, no, you can't really, you know, that doesn't make sense. We're not going to be a part of that. How about this as an alternative? But um, so I would separate out people who are ideologues who have signed on for whatever reason to some of these really incredibly reactionary stuff that's going on and other people who are, you know, maybe just 
um, drifting without good moorings because good information is hard to find. And that's the kind of role that an organizer and an activist and an organization with some roots and with some uh, experience can provide. As, and, and, and you're right. Uh, I think that um, people have to want to know what the truth is, and people will look for um, reasons not to believe either for their, their own selfish reasons or because, uh, again, their ideology or, or anything along, along those lines to, to support. Um, and I, I think if you could just finally comment on haves and have-nots, it goes back to an article you wrote, you know, when you, you, you talk about different cities and, 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 you know, white folks that are privileged that – have the opportunity to live in the Fairfields and other places like that, rather than, you know, being born black and being born into poverty or being uh, born into situations where um, there are um, obstacles and challenges in your way. Just, I mean, as soon as you're born that we're always sort of boxed into places where they want us to be. May and I may say my hometown of New Haven. Um, uh, so I, I think that it, knowledge is definitely power. Maybe that's a route that blacks and whites on the same side of righteousness and other races can point out that, you know, uh, based on the color of your skin, cert- certainly with privilege, like if you're a white person born with money, then it, it, you definitely have that step. But the opportunities based on your skin, even if you're not born with a silver spoon, are greatly more uh, increased. If you're, if you're the same, starting from the same point of view in terms of your economics, if you're a black person. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think the the problem of white privilege and white supremacy, you know, it's so deep and it's there's so many layers to it. I think, and I would include most white radicals and activists in this, don't even realize the kind of privileges that they also have. Even people who study it and are aware of it and try to confront it in some way. So, yeah, I mean, I think we, we talked... Uh, earlier about still the staggering gap between how much wealth the average black person has uh, is so much lower by an incredible amount. I don't have the numbers right in front of me. Anybody can look that up pretty easily. And just, I mean, and this goes back to the thing that I was hinting at earlier about Biden, you know, this whole move that started 45 years ago or 40 years ago, the prison industrial complex was really partly the intention was to get a lot of people off the street who the power structure felt were potentially dangerous, mainly young African-American men and to some extent women and to some extent Latinos. But I think a lot of it goes back to the success or the effort that was made by the Black Panther Party to organize the brother on the street and to provide them with some kind of structure and some kind of direction and education like what you were describing uh, 
And so by the late 70s, when the Black Panther Party was in decline and, um, you know, the powers that be said, look, I mean, there were other reasons for it, but it was also a recognition that in some ways the people who are beaten down the most in the society are potentially the biggest threat to challenging the system. Um, and so, I don't know, I'm kind of drifting, I think, away from what your original question was. But uh, I think No, you, you, you're making a point, and... and and by the way, to 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 that point is, is when you you talk about um, you know some being ignorant to the fact of of that uh, and 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 where Joe Biden is in terms of his where you know where he stands politically, um, you know he he voted for those crime bills, he voted right. for a lot of those things. Um, and people forget that. So we have to stay woke. We have to say, okay, yeah, if you're going to go with, you're going to vote for the demon or the devil, and I hate to put it in those terms, you might want to pick the lesser of two evils, but that doesn't mean the lesser of two evils is has the best possible agenda for those like us who are fighting uh, for the good. Well, and the, 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 the sliver of positive and why it was absolutely essential to get Trump out is that because of who makes up the Democratic Party constituency, they do have to pay attention to people like you, people like me, people like those who are out demonstrating last year, people in Brooklyn Center, Minnesota, who were out demonstrating last night and are probably back out there now. Because that's who basically votes year in and year out, at least, you know, the, the parents of those people or the older generations of those people. And they can't simply look, the Republican Party knows who their base is. And it doesn't include black people. It doesn't include basically uh, hardly any people of color. They may be able to dupe some poor and working class whites into supporting their agenda. But basically, they're speaking to the kind of people who were out in Washington on January 6th. That now has become their base. So when you have a Trump or any other Republican, Kemp, whoever it might be, and you can see all the backward, terrible, reactionary stuff that they're doing at the state level now, it makes Sorry. the point more clear. They have absolutely no regard whatsoever. In fact, they're almost stating as loudly as you can, we are your enemy, and we are acting in ways to protect ourselves and to exclude you. Um, so I think it goes back. I keep making this point. Uh, maybe people get tired of it, but it's really the only way. We need organizations and we need skilled people. We need new people to come along and learn skills and bring their energy to building multiracial and in some cases, uh, not, you know, race specific organizations that will continue to put pressure on on all these issues, police violence, you know, guaranteed minimum income for every single person in the country. Green New Deal, we need to rehaul the economy, all this kind of stuff. None of that is really going to get accomplished without 
um, doing the kind of things that we were doing last spring and last summer, and which through time immemorial, whether it's the civil rights movement, whether it's the anti-war movement of the 60s, whether it's uh, uh, health care workers, you know, pushing for major changes in the health care system, all that stuff can be accomplished and some of it can be changed for the better, even though it may not be our ultimate uh, blueprint with Democrats like Biden in power. But it only happens when you have people pushing hard, lots of people. I mean, you know, ultimately we need millions of people pushing from below. This is what we want. And considering all the different alternatives like, you know, uh, civil disobedience and all this other kind of stuff in order to make it happen. Yeah, and uh, the sad thing is that as we speak and as, like you said, you and I and others alike that fight in a different kind of ways, which I, I thought was a great point, you don't have to take it to the streets to be a part of, of the movement. Uh, as we fight, we still have these incidents. We still have um, the Mitch McConnells. We still have Army active army members getting pepper sprayed by cops in his uniform yeah. cops telling you if you make a big deal out of it we're going to throw the book at you the guy said he don't want to get out of the car because he's scared cops said you 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 should be i mean stuff like that like it, yeah. it's 2021 like it, it's it never seems to end so it's almost like the more things change the more they stay the same as as much as we punch like boxers and they go down they keep getting back up like we and that's why I asked you in the beginning about exhaustion like when are we going to go I mean I'm glad we don't want to give up um but people but, but sometimes the enemy will wait you out and we as black people are are notorious for having that happen well they're black they they'll protest they might burn some stuff down and yell and scream and get angry and cry but eventually it'll die down. They'll go away. And I think um, black people specifically can't be tired. You know, it, it just, it goes on and on. And I don't mean to get in my soapbox with you, Andy, but, well, no, you know, you understand well, what I'm saying. Well, and that's all the more reason why expanding our forces means that if I trip and fall or if you get tired and you need to sit down, then you pass the baton to 30 other people who are coming along who have energy, maybe they're younger. I mean, I'm 64, so most of these folks now out there are younger than I am. But whatever, you know, whether you're young, old, tired, sit down and rest and then get up when you're ready to resume. And for some people, yeah, maybe they need a longer rest. I'm not trying to berate anybody into, like, uh, you know, you need to get back out there, you need to get back out there, you need to keep going at full speed. It's just more that... Um, our forces are small still, and a lot of the people who come out for some of these actions, if we don't have solid organizations in place where people can join and come and feel welcome and feel like something's being accomplished and all that kind of stuff, then they'll drift away. But if we have ways to keep them in all kinds of different outlets for them to express their vision, you know, as long as it's compatible with the overall vision, then it's more likely that they're going to stay. And it's more likely that people who 
um, maybe can't participate or are burned out can participate at another level. I mean, I was concerned this whole last year, and maybe this is one reason why I've been doing more and more writing. I didn't really want to be out. I mean, I went to a lot of the demonstrations, but in terms of meetings or being in places with lots of other people, uh, it wasn't it wasn't good sense for this last year. And for other people, that may continue to be the case even when sort of the worst of the pandemic is behind us. They can't travel that well, whatever. Um, but everybody, I think, has some way that they can contribute. And um, we have to be conscious of that. You know, the, the, the most experienced people usually are. They're usually aware of the fact that people who came for a while stop coming and why and they try to find out but um i think that's why the urgency of finding some kind of basic platform that okay it may not have every single thing thought out to the end that i would want to see but understanding that a united platform that's maybe a little more general and that it leaves a couple things out or we don't have to have everything in the kitchen sink thrown into our preamble. Start with where people are and what they can unite around and that's how you get more and more people involved and then as people are involved, if the idea of, well, how about if we had a socialist economy instead of a capitalist one, what would that look like? Maybe more people might come to agree that's that's a good idea. Maybe not. Maybe we rely more on ourselves to build farms or gardens or community gardens or alternative schools or whatever it might be. All that can come up at some point. But if you start at some basic thing like, you know, we need to make sure that the police cannot do this kind of stuff anymore and we will be out there in large numbers any time that it happens, if that's your starting point, then you can work into all these other things in over time. Um, but the immediate basic concerns are the ones that we should focus on, and then the more complex ones we can get into as people get to know each other, as they've gotten to work together in a certain uh, setting over a period of months, years, whatever it might be. Amen to that. Amen to that. Uh, Andy, before you go, let folks know how they can follow you and, and, and read all your great articles, sir. Well, I'm not real big on social media. I just always pump uh, the websites that publish my work and they publish other great work. Counterpunch.org They post new material Monday through Friday and Znet, that's the letter Z N E T. They publish new material seven days a week, so there's always good analysis there, and it often leads people to organizations of the kind that I'm talking about that they can hook into or network with or reach out to or whatever they want to do.
Welcome back to the Bachelor News Radio Show on the Bachelor News Radio Network, WCOM in Chapel Hill, North Carolina. We thank you for joining us wherever you are. The number to reach us is 646-929-0130, the number to reach out to us. You can hit us up on the chat room if you're online as well, blogtalkradio.com forward slash LA hyphen bachelor or on Facebook at Pad Nation or Pad Nation 2 on uh, Twitter. Uh, I want to bring in my guests uh, first of hopefully many, many more appearances on this broadcast from Black College uh, Sports Network and, of course, uh, a good member of the HBCU Pro Sports Media. He is A.D. Drew. And, A.D., I appreciate your patience, man. And thanks for coming on the show, bro. Oh, no problem, my brother. No problem. You know, I was sitting up here enjoying listening to your uh, first two guests. Uh, speak here so uh you know i just hope i could just add to the dialogue and be just as good as they were oh man you you're not only um informative but you're comical so i know it's going to be uh, a great get this evening i, I want to touch on um the hbcu a couple of games that are are going to be coming up and um, big games coming up before we kind of get into some of the the, the uh, standings and things and uh the bayou classic coming up but Typically played, if I'm not mistaken, right after Thanksgiving, and you know, you 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 always have the Gramlings in, involved. Of course, uh, this is the 47th annual. How how is this going to look in terms of this game in the midst of COVID? The the the, the adjustments for the schools, not just from playing it at a different time, but certainly the uh, dangers of COVID, um, you know, if something happens with one of the players, the coaches, how they adjust. Well, what's your thoughts on the Bayou Classic in the midst of this this COVID-19? Before we even jump on the COVID uh, aspect of the Bayou Classic, when was the last time that you could remember that the Bayou Classic was not going to determine the SWAC West champion and who was going to be playing in the in the championship game? Right. I'm gonna get you men to think about it. <laughs> yeah, no, I, 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 can't, I can't. I can't remember. Either. Usually, one of those two teams uh, come in in first place in the driver's seat as as we get ready to uh, as we look forward to the SWAC championship game. Right now, Grambling is you know. I hate to say it, they're wishing they would have did uh, all coin and not even played this uh, this spring season the way things have gone for them. <laughs> we're not even, we're not going to get into all the turmoil, but everybody's aware. All you got to do is Google everything that's happened to Grambling this spring. And Southern is sitting essentially two games out right now because the one game behind UAPB and since UAPB has the head to head. JPB has to lose their next two games in order for Southern to even get in. So let, let's let's deal with that one first. Number two, we until about five six o'clock tomorrow night, we may not even officially have this game tomorrow, and, and I'm going to tell you why. You know, we know Grambling uh, had to shut down due to COVID. They're still not at a hundred percent strength. What happens if when they take those COVID tests tomorrow that they still don't have enough players or that they don't have mm. enough players in, in a specific position group? 
you got all these fans who who made it brave enough to attend to go to Shreveport and hotels, rent a car, airline flights, et cetera, et cetera. Still not guaranteed we're going to have a game tomorrow. So what's the scenario what behind what, what is what what's plan B if if, if Gremlin can't play? Do, do they not play the game? You you saw like the NCAA where they had you know teams on standby. Someone tested COVID and then they put that team in. What, what's the buy you going to do if Gremlin can't play? You know they the only thing they they could they really only have two choices: either a hope that maybe it, they have enough players coming off quarantine, enough people coming off quarantine where they could move the game to Sunday, which I doubt will happen. Or B, it goes down as a no contest. That's really about the only thing you can do at the, at this situation. Which, Which would be if devastating for the no players, contest, right? And if it goes right, and it's no devastating contest, for the players and and, and all of the, the money that goes into it, right? Yes, right. Would, I mean, not not only the, the players, the fans who who invested all this money. The hotels, the the restaurants, and everything, everybody else who are the the benefactors of events such as this. Wow, that, that let's hope that's not the scenario um, no, in this game. On the, fi- the scenario. On, on the field, you got the Jaguars. They they can run the ball. We know. Um, I think they're averaging over two hundred yards a game. Um, and, you know, this is not good for Gremlin because I think they're dead last in the conference in, in rushing defense. And then you have, as you mentioned, with with the Tigers, they have sort of an identity crisis with their uh, – with with uh, Hickbaum gone and, and some of their uh, coordinators gone and all of the different things going on. It, it, in essence, both teams have something to prove, certainly – uh, you look at uh, the Jags, they they have to win, like you said, to kind of have even an outside shot um, to, to to win the, the the to get into that position. And then Gremlin, with so much up and down and so so many emotions and things that have gone on, just to get a win would be big for them. A, a, a win in this particular game would save Grambling season. As far as in the fans, you, you you know how it is when you look, when you look at your schedule, you you look at you look at when homecoming is, when the rival game is, and when when is the, when is the classic. Well, the classic is the only thing that Grambling has left at this point. So they need this win to just kind of. I don't want to say maintain face, but to salvage something out of this season. Yeah, it it really does come down to that, and uh, it, it it and you know the the at the end of the day, if they play as we know HBCU football, I still think it's going to be a great game. Um, you know, all records are out when when these two teams play, in particular in this particular classic. You think it's going to be a pretty competitive game, a high-scoring game? I think it's going to be high-scoring. Unfortunately, I think it's going to be one-sided on the high score. One-sided. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you're going to get 50 points. 
you're going to get 50 points in the game. Problem is, I think Southern's going to get 40 of those 50. <laughs> oh, man. Well, we're, we're hoping for something uh, better than that. If you're just joining us, we'll talk with A.D. Drew uh, of Black College Sports Network and uh, HBCU Pro Sports Media here on the Bassett News Radio Show and the Bassett News Radio uh, Network. Um, A.D., uh, I want to also take a look at the uh, Magic City Classic. Now, uh, not as well-known uh, as you as you know, but, again, you know, the Battle of Alabama, if you will. I beg, I beg to differ on that. I live in Alabama. It is very well known. And in many years, it's outdrew the Bayou Classic. So, I, okay. I, not that I'm, okay. not that I stand to correct you on that, but just wanted to throw that out there at you. <laughs> okay. You look at uh, Alabama A&M uh, and the way they put up points and have put up points uh, against this this Alabama State team, this is, uh, you know, the battle, like you said, Legion Field. Um, what do you expect in this game, and, and, and what's on the line for these two squads? Well, the, the question is, can Alabama State defense with that uh, with that front seven that they have, can they, uh, can they get pressure on glass, on a quail glass? You know, Quail Glass is looking every bit of the pro prospect that they say he is. You know, he he already – I thought he should have been uh, league MVP last year, uh, offensive MVP last year, but he, but he was not. So this year, you know, he, he's making uh, his stakes on, uh, and claim on that, even though they've only got two games in and only one conference game. But, you know – he is looking like every bit of the person that he is. And I, I, I threw this out earlier this week. I'm throwing this out on a couple of shows. And I'm going to need you to help me out with this one. Could a, could a queer glass be the best quarterback that we've seen in the SWAT since Steve McNair? And you mentioned that on your broadcast. And, and I, I, you know, it, it, Alcorn State, and with, with what Steve did, I mean, it maybe I guess you can make an argument um, statistic-wise and, and what he's done, and now as a, as a senior, he's playing at a high level um, as, you know, the best since Steve. Uh, it, it's kind of hard, though, not to say he was better than Steve, but you've had some great quarterbacks come through this conference and, and just HBCU in, in general, but so that that's a tough one, man. I mean, what what do you think? I mean, he if he comes back for the final year that that he said he's coming back for, yeah, he he definitely has a good opportunity. Now, what you have to be afraid of is he puts up such good numbers and people get in his ear that he may decide to go into the supplemental draft this summer and not even wait to come back in in the, in the fall. But, you know, we talk about all those great quarterbacks that have come through the, to the SWAC, but the SWAC has not had a quarterback draft since Tavares Jackson, ironically, of Alabama State University. Which in Tavares, of course, um, um, had a, a great college career and, of course, like you said, played, played in the NFL. Should have been playing longer, to, but like most black quarterbacks in the league that, 
come from these schools. They they either want to make them a, a corner or a wide receiver or bounce them around the league until they bounce out of the league. But that's a whole different conversation for another uh, another day. And in my humble opinion, um, what what do you see the the who, who do you think is going to win this game? Uh, we're gonna put you on record, and the and the tape won't lie. <laughs> who you think is going to win? <laughs> I have to go with who I originally picked back in the fall, which was Alabama A&M. You know, I, back in the fall, I actually picked Alabama A&M and UAPB in the championship game. So, looks like I should look like I should have uh, ran to Vegas with that prediction, but I didn't. So, ho- hopefully, these teams won't disappoint me. I think it's going to be a, another uh, a great game. Um, 6.30. All eyes are on that. Let's talk about a couple other games, though, uh, coming up. Um, uh, when you look, at, you know, we talked about, uh, you know, Southern and, and, and Grambling. Uh, what about this game, uh, 2 o'clock this Saturday, uh, coming up, uh, Mississippi Valley State against Texas Southern? Uh, uh, weigh in on that game. Uh, it should be nicknamed the Forgotten About Bowl. You know, everybody's forgotten about these two teams, but you got to you got to remember, since uh, Mississippi Valley has come back off of COVID, they've actually been playing decent ball. They haven't been able to put together a complete game, but they've been playing decent ball ever since they've come back off of COVID. Texas Southern, on the other on the flip side is coming off of their issues with COVID and, and, and a few other things. Look, look, look for Valley in the upset of this particular game. That would be an upset. I, I, I think that would be an uh, upset if Valley can, can, can pull off uh, the, the win here. Uh, go ahead. This is, and, and I heard this on Dr. Cavill's uh, show earlier this week. This is not your father's Valley. And this is not. You know, and you know it. When you you look at, at at Valley, this this team, you know, has the history of talk about great quarterbacks, right? And great wide receivers. I mean, you go way back, Willie Cotton and, and Jerry Rice, of course. Um, but this team is definitely, I think, underrated. Texas Southern is always uh, going to be uh, ready, and and it should be a great matchup. What about Prairie View against UAPB? I mean, again. Um, uh, a good matchup, and I know how, how you feel about um, Pine Bluff, but what do you see in this game? Well, well, the thing you have to remember, preview ineligible due to the APR rules of the NCAA to play in the SWAC championship game. It would make preview nothing better than to go out and upset UAPB and shake up the apple cart. So but that that receiving core up at UAPB is is, is just second to none. And you know about the only other receiving core that could uh compete with them is Alabama A and M. And we know what Alabama A and M I was thinking the same thing about this game. I mean UAB UAPB better not sleep on this game. It could just like Grambling, this is like their, you know, black Super Bowl, right? Like they, they, you know, Prairie View, you know, they playing with house money at this point. They go in there and and get a dub. I mean, that would that would definitely shake up stuff. That'd be good 
uh, for Southern, uh, but certainly not good for um, uh, Pine Bluff. Let me ask you this uh, before you go. When you look at Tennessee State, and I, I know my next guest is, uh, covers them specifically, but when you look at, and I'll ask him the same question, when you look at what Tennessee State did with Coach Reed and bringing in Eddie George, who played with the Titans, of course, so he still lives there, big, big person in Nashville and that, that kind of thing, bringing in, you know, Jeff Fisher as a consultant, bringing in Fisher's son as a key coordinator and, uh, I, you know, bringing all these, these folks in, um, when you look at it, I, I guess Rod Woodson, is a was it fair the way they handled this, and then b um, is this a sign of times? Deion Sanders, Jackson State, you know uh, others. We've seen it in basketball it, to a, a, a different degree, you know, at, at different levels. I mean, and then you got you know even uh, a guy like Connell Manor who's been all over the place and had success all over the place. You see what he's doing now. Uh, in a swag. So is this a sign of times, and what do you think about how Tennessee State handled this? I, I, I don't know if they're trying to catch lightning in the bottle twice or or what, but they uh, it, it, it's a bold move. It's a it's a real bold move for for Tennessee State. And uh, you've got a national figure such as Dion and what he did over Jack State, but you've got a local figure, a local legend in Eddie George over there in Nashville. So they, they're trying to du- duplicate it, but they're not trying to take it quite to the level that Jackson, Jackson State did. Now, Tennessee State has a unique opportunity because we all know there's another school there, a Division One school in Nashville. People forget that Vanderbilt is in Nashville. People forget Vanderbilt is in Nashville for a reason because Vanderbilt athletics are, I mean, they're the bottom dwellers of the SEC. So Tennessee State is in a real unique opportunity. If Eddie George can come in, they can catch lightning in a bottle and do some things they could possibly become the college team of Nashville. Now, you're still not going to get those people who like that that orange and white team a couple hours down the road, but for all the rest of the fans, why not come over to Tennessee State instead of going there to Vanderbilt as far as your fandom? But what about how they handle it? I mean, one day, you know, they, they terminate this uh, coach who I thought was doing a, a great job, certainly when they transcend to a, uh, uh, a PBI, right? Um, but, I mean, a PWI. So when, do you, when you, you look at that and then, like, the next day, Eddie George is the next coach. So what? how do you think they handled it? Well, you you on my, you on uh, our show earlier this week, nights at the round table, and I'll repeat what I said. It it reeks of Earl Holmes. <laughs> now, the big difference, and for those who do not uh, 
realize what I'm talking about. Earl Holmes, former linebacker of the Pittsburgh Steelers, Florida A&M University right. graduate. Uh, I believe I believe Earl played in the league eight nine years if I if I remember correctly, and the, I believe he played all yeah. those years with the with the Pittsburgh Steelers. But anyway, right. I, I'll digress. He, he he was head football coach at Florida A&M University. Kellen Winslow was named athletic director. In Kellen Winslow's first year as athletic director, ironically, Kellen Winslow, University of Missouri from East St. Louis, Missouri, uh, and we all know he had that great career with the San Diego Chargers in football, but he was athletic director. And in that first year, he he, he basically fired Earl Holmes the week of homecoming. I believe it was the Monday of homecoming. So, uh, but there, there are some differences uh, uh, in, in that. Number one, Rod Reed under contract, his contract just was not renewed. He knew coming into this spring season, unless he won out, this is possibly going to be his last season. So, Saturday. Even though we heard rumors of this last week, at the end of last week, he knew Saturday going to the game that he was not going to be there come Sunday as the head coach because his contract ended after that game Saturday night. Now, they went out. They started looking for for a coach. I've always been the the person, you know, you never go after somebody else's job while they still had their job. You can you can you can do what you need to do to put yourself in place, but you you don't go about it. And then they had to talk Eddie George into coaching. It, you know, it, 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 I've got I've got a little bit of skepticism, but I'm not I'm not a Tennessee State alum. I almost was a Tennessee State alum because <laughs> instead of going to Florida A and M, you know, well, Tennessee State was number one on my list when I was coming out of uh, high school, but I wound up at Florida A and M University. Florida A&M University swung, I go swung the pendulum down there. So Tennessee State has always been a a special place to me. But I don't know the culture of Tennessee State like I know of Florida A&M University or Tuskegee University, the two universities that I've attended, or even Lincoln University in Missouri is a place where I worked at for for a minute. So it's really not what I think about it. What do those alums think? Would the alums still give to Tennessee State? Will the corporations based in Nashville give their dollars to Tennessee State? That is the question. Mm. It's 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 an interesting uh, situation because, you know, it's almost like we had uh, Michael Coker on talking about the HBCUs and, you know, sort of the integration of white players there and and the change or the 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 climate the look of a, a hbcu might be a different scenario but you know what i mean like that that splash like you talked about not having that conventional uh coach that went through the grind and went up through the ranks and then you bring in a name like eddie george and then boom or a, a Deion sanders and one quick last question for you ad um you look at COVID-19, and this is, I, I talked with, with Michael Coker about this. Um, 
of the HBCUs that participated uh, in the conferences, obviously uh, CIAA um, excluded, who do you think handled the COVID the right way? And you throw in Tennessee State, which is, of course, in the OVC, so they're in a little different position. Um, you know, A&T moved on, BAM, your, your, your uh, alma mater moved on from the MEAC to the SWAC. Uh, who do you think kind of handled uh, the COVID-19 the best way they could in terms of athletics? Oh, hands down, it, 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 it was the swag of, of the major, of the HBCU conference, hands down, it was the swag. I would have given the swag an A-plus on this were it not for Alcorn, opting out. I'm not, I'm not blaming Alcorn for opting out. They had their reasons for opting out. But if they would have gotten through with Alcorn not opting out and that late January into mid-February of basketball season without all the various cancellations, I would have given I would have given them an A+. Plus. I'd give them a B+, plus, though. Well, that's a high grade. I mean, I, I agree with you. Incidentally, you know, we're going to have uh, uh, Commissioner McWilliams and Commissioner Thomas on uh, some uh, a couple of future broadcasts and, and kind of ask those questions. MEAC has been <laughs> decimated and devastated in a lot of ways. That's, that's, uh, that's, that's a whole just... show by itself. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. With COVID alone, I mean, forget COVID, deflections, defections, and all this different stuff that's going on with them. Uh, it'd be interesting, of course. Uh, Commissioner McWilliams will talk to Madam Commissioner about you know opting out and and those things too. Before you go, AD, please do talk about the Black College Sports Network and uh, and the uh, HBCU Pro Sports Media, which I'm a, a proud and humble a member of as well, sir. All right, we we'll we start off with the uh, with the main network that is the Black College Sports Network. You can, you can follow us online at www.mybcsn.net. You can also download our app on Google Play and the Apple App Store. You search for MyJBN or MyBCSN. Download our app, subscribe, like, and most importantly, share. And if you like what you share, well, donate a cup of coffee to us. Three dollars, five dollars, whatever you want, whatever you want to give, we we sure take it. You can uh, follow us on Facebook, uh, search Black College Sports Network on on Facebook. You can also follow my show on Facebook, BCSN Sports Wrap, where myself and my partner Brian Fulford come with you weekly with uh, different insights into HBCU sports. And last but not least, you can follow us on Twitter. At my BCSN and the number one. That's my BCSN and the number one. If you want to reach me on Twitter, where you can reach me at D R E W. Excuse me, BCSN D R E W. That's BCSN Drew on Twitter. I think I got all the major plugs out the way. I could go on and on with the Spreaker and uh, Spotify's and all that stuff, but we're not gonna get into all that right now. <laughs> <laughs> and it, it, of course, the HBCU Pro Sports Media. Yeah. Oh yeah, I'm sorry. Uh, HBCU Pro Sports Media, with uh, which 
both myself, uh, L.A. Bachelor, and your first guest, Michael Coker, are members of. You can follow us online at HBCU Pro Sports Media, that's sports with an S, media.com. And that's basically, uh, a, I won't say a new version of the Sheridan Broadcast Network, but it's slowly becoming the AP of HBCU Sports, and that's Associated Press for those uh, who are not media savvy like that. Well, I, I appreciate being a part of that and you and, and Trevin and Dr. DeVille and Jay Sokol, Michael Corker, all, all of you that put that together. I'm, I'm, I'm proud to be a member of that. Listen, this is the first of many. You be well. Thank you for your time. We'll talk very soon. I'll be, I'll be in touch, man. I appreciate you, bro. Uh, th- thanks for having me on, L.A. Look forward to uh, doing this uh, more often. Uh, and, and, and God bless, and let's stay COVID-free. Absolutely. Thanks, bro. Appreciate you. I appreciate you. This is the Bassett News Radio Show on the Bassett News Radio Network of COM and Chapel Hill. Stay tuned. Thank you for joining us. We're going to go back uh, and bring in my guest. Of course, he is a host of the ASU South, SportsAwakening.com, and the Nashville Voice, among others, uh, patiently waiting on the line. I appreciate him so, so much. Uh, He is Mike Patton. uh, And General Patton, man, thanks for your patience, and thanks for coming on, man. I won't keep you long. Oh, it's all good, man. Uh, I was going to say, man, I had I had plenty of insight for him if uh, he wanted to listen to it on uh, the the things he was asking about when it comes to TSU. Oh, well, that, that's that's the, the, the core of why I wanted to have you on because you, you cover them. You know Coach Reed. You know the program. Um, what's your thoughts on how it went down? I mean, you, you have the insight. So the, the, the how it went down, number one. Uh, and, you know, bringing in an Eddie George, um, you know, I mean, Rod Woodson had some NFL experience and coaching experience and the Jeff Fishers and all that. Eddie George, certainly not. So what what, what say you about this whole situation? Honestly, uh, I mean, it came out of the middle of nowhere to me. I, I looked and I, I thought I was, somebody was playing the late April Fool's Day joke on me. I looked and I said, Eddie George, the head coach of the, the PSU, huh? You know, but um, I looked around. I was like, oh, goodness, this this actually is real. <laughs> so I was like, okay, so maybe I need to take this a little more seriously. And 
you know, look into it. So, you know, what happened was, uh, you know, like, like mentioned, like previous guests mentioned, um, Rodri going in this season, uh, you know, he, he was at the end of his contract, and more than likely he was gonna, not going to be back. I mean, he, he'd have to do wonders for him to have been back, in my opinion. So, um, you know, he wasn't renewed. I, I believe he knew that he was pretty much a lame duck coach. I pretty much think he knew that already. And actually, the kids already – he already told the kids that he was actually uh, – that he wasn't going to be back next year. He told them the Saturday before the game. So they were well aware before the game even got here on Sunday. So so before the news started coming out about Eddie George being the new head coach, they were fully aware that uh, he was fully aware and the kids were fully aware that he wasn't going to be the coach next year. So it wasn't like a uh, surprise. It was, I mean, it was, it was pretty interesting timing, but wasn't as bad timing, as bad a timing as everyone would make it out to be. Basically, what what's been the reaction from the fans and and even if the players, if you know, and th- those who are returning to to, to play for Eddie George? <laughs> well, I haven't heard much reaction from the players as of now, but I definitely have heard reaction from uh, alumni. The feeling about some alumni they're kind of split on this one because the thing with TSU, what what people got to understand is. They love it, or TSU likes it when one of their own or somebody that has ties to the university, you know, gets the position. So with Eddie not necessarily having ties to TSU besides, you know, playing for the Titans and living in the city, you know, some alumni don't like it. Some alumni don't. They really don't like it. Other alumni like the move because it's bold and it's different than anything that the the, – Tigers have ever done. So it's kind of like a little split split right now. So I think as time goes on, um, you'll, you'll find out a little bit more whether where majority is landing. But right now it's kind of split. What do you think, though? Do you think that personally, as a person who covers the team, certainly if he knew the right was on the wall, I get it. But they had to um, – be looking at Eddie George or looking at someone, and it, it just seems, it, it seems, uh, if he knew and they knew, I get it, but it just it just doesn't feel right the way it kind of went down. It was definitely interesting. I noticed I did say it, it, it didn't necessarily, you know, it didn't necessarily look great, but it didn't necessarily look as awful as it was. But, you know, it didn't look great altogether. I, I definitely admit that. Um, you know, from what I, from what the press conference, I, I listened and watched the press conference. And uh, as far as that, what it sounds like is he had reached out to uh, uh, that Mickey, uh, the Mickey Allen, Dr. Mickey Allen, who was the athletic director at Tennessee State, had reached out to him about coaching. And originally, Eddie George said no. And he, he said no originally. That's the one thing that a lot of people are either caught up on or don't are are missing in this whole entire situation. And Two people are the reason why he is the coach at Tennessee State right now. I would say two main people are the reason why. One of those people is his wife, Taj. Because when he hung up the phone, he's like, you'll not believe what happened. They, Tennessee State just offered me the, the, the head coaching position. And 
you know, he's he's like, wow, you know, he's like, should I do it? Or anything like that. She's like, she can't believe that. And she was like, why not? And then, of course, he talked to Jeff Fisher, his former head coach for the Titans. And after that, of course, you know, he said he was ready to run through a brick wall. So he had pretty much his mind had been kind of geared towards it at that point. And he did his research. And he he was pretty much at that point ready. So that that's pretty much the whole process. Well, part of the process. I, I don't know. I'm not Eddie George, so I can't say it's the whole process. But that's part of what went into it. And um, for if you're not aware, too, uh, Jeff Fisher is actually going to be his advisor at Tennessee right. State. And, uh, and his, his son, son is the Brandon, defensive coordinator, right? Yeah, his son will be his son will be more than likely be the defensive coordinator. It hadn't been officially named yet, uh, but Hugh Jackson did actually. Uh, he actually did a video the other day I was on a podcast he was on, and he did say that he would be joining Eddie George at Tennessee State's office coordinator. Um, also, some people are trying to throw out Ray Lewis uh, being part of the staff, which, um, you know, I, I, I do hear that he could potentially – he could have potentially been involved in the head coaching position should Eddie have uh, turned it down. But um, – what, I, what I'm hearing, I mean, Ray Lewis could potentially be a part of the staff. That's that's what some people are saying. But me personally, I don't see it. I see him more going to be a head coach somewhere else on his own. And like Dion said, uh, Ray Lewis and Ed Reed are, are potentially ready to be head coaches in HBCUs as well. So those two other names that are, are thinking about making that jump too. If you're just joining us, we're talking with Mike Patton here on the Bassman News Radio Show on the Bassman News Radio Network and WCOM in Chapel Hill. Mike, it's a couple of things. It it, it seems as though Tennessee State's trying to put an NFL type of uh, coaching staff together, which means that they may want to make it as pro offensively and defensively as they can. Number one, number two. <clears throat> Are are those names that are coming in, including Eddie George, doing this for the love? Because, I, I mean, I don't know what Tennessee State's budget is, but if they're all coming in, and it's advisories and stuff, um, it, it they certainly have to be coming in, I would, I would uh, imagine, uh, because they want to be in coaching and get back in it. The third part of this, if you can uh, answer, is – I'm not a big Jeff Fisher fan. I know there was the Super Bowl. They lost it the, the one inch or whatever it was with the Rams, greatest uh, show on turf and and there. And but, and, you know, I wasn't a big Jeff Fisher fan as a coach. A defensive coordinator, he was under um, Buddy Ryan and, and the Bears and all that. But as a head coach, I'm not a big fan of. So what what's your thoughts of him coming in as well? Well, I'm not really uh, too worried about that. I mean, he can give a lot of pointers to Eddie what can what to do, what not to do. But ultimately, the decisions on the field are going to be Eddie and the staff. Um, you know, Fisher. Um, you know, if you love him or hate him, you know, a lot of people, which which I expect to happen when he's officially named as the advisor to Eddie George, I, I expect. Plenty of people to talk about the relationship between Vince Young and Jeff Fisher. So I just expect that to happen. Because plenty of people don't like him here in Nashville because of that relationship. But, um, you know, 
the thing with uh, Jeff Fisher, whether you like him or not, he does have coaching experience. Uh, he does know game-type situations better than Eddie George does. So that part will help. Um, now, the decision-making part, part and the actual decision, that will still more likely be up to Eddie. But, um, you know, that part of it he can help. And also, you know, of course he can give tips to his son defensively. Because if he's coming in to be the defensive coordinator, I would say more than likely they're going to run a 4-3. And more than likely they're probably going to split out the defensive ends like more like a, a nine technique like his defensive ends did for uh, the Titans. So I could expect that more than likely to be there. Sure, they still need some more pieces. However, with the transfer portal being as big as the Pacific Ocean, they could probably bring in some uh, transfers as well to go along with the players that they currently have, which they do have a couple really, really, really nice players in terms of a linebacker and a safety that they can build around. And that's a great point that you what you just said at the end. You look at this this program and the talent that they have, or lack thereof, whichever way you're looking at it, going into the the next season. Is Eddie going to have a program half empty or half full? In your opinion? I mean, honestly, I think he's going to have some. Uh, he's going to have some talented kids. Depending upon if they, you know, some of them stay or not. Uh, he's got a quarterback that transferred in uh, from a from a week uh, from Marshall, I believe. Uh, so he actually was there last year and playing the starting quarterback this past season. He has some abilities, and he's shown he has some abilities. I think Hugh Jackson, if if uh, the quarterback stays, I think Hugh Jackson can definitely do some things with him because he has shown touch on the deep ball. He just has to learn a lot of the little intricacies to be a better quarterback. Um, and, I mean, he definitely has some pieces. They do need more talent, more depth, though, of course. And that would be the key thing if they can develop more talent, more depth, uh, especially on this level as well. Because, you know, it's not necessarily um, like he's going to Ohio State or a Tennessee or a, you know, it, even a, even, a, even a Vanderbilt may have some depth, depth at points during, you know, their, their run than, than the Tennessee State may have at some points. Mike, so where, where is this going? Deion Sanders, Eddie mm-hmm. George. Where, is, 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 is this what HBCUs are going to be doing, you think, to put them on the map? How do they budget this type of thing? What, what do you think? Is this, um, is this sort of the exception or is it going to be the rule move, moving forward in your opinion with HBCUs? Well, I think it's well, I think that they're, I think HBCUs are not done yet. I think there will definitely be more – uh, former NFL players become head coaches. Uh, ironically, uh, I was talking with someone the other day, and uh, Morgan State has a former NFL head coach in uh, Tyron Wheatley. But, you know, we, right. uh, we were just kicking around talking stuff. But, you know, you could potentially see Ray Lewis go there. Uh, that that could potentially happen. Uh, I'm not – I can't say that for certain, but just, you know, we were just talking about it. You can talk about it and actually think about it being reality because of the things that happened with Dion and then with Andy George. And then also, of course, Ed, of course, Ed Reed, you could see him somewhere in Florida, maybe on the floor in A&M or somewhere of that nature. But, you know, you wouldn't think those things would be a reality maybe a couple of years ago, but there are now. And one thing you also notice is Jackson State's been on TV, on ESPN, more times than they have ever been on TV. And I'm talking about ESPN, not talking about 
ESPNU or anything like that. They've been on ESPN more times than they have ever been on ESPN. So that part is helping alone. And then also the deal brokered between uh, Deion Sanders trying to, you know, broker a deal with like Pepsi or Coke uh, with the SWAC. He helped broker that deal to bring more money to the to the, uh, to the SWAC as well. So those and, type and of things. You... Go ahead. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. Those type of things can definitely happen. Of course, with more eyeballs on the, on the universities, plus with um, a little bit bigger games. And also, you got to think, too, uh, Eddie and Dion are going to see each other in the fall uh, because you've got the Southern Heritage Classic in Memphis, and that's probably going to be right. a huge event now compared to what it has been maybe the few past few years. It's a huge event still, but it's going to be even bigger as in more people will actually be in the stands during the game because what happens usually is there's people in the stands and then there's people outside grilling, cooking, hanging out, partying, whatever. There's probably still going to be people cooking, partying, and grilling out outside the stands. But inside the game, there's probably going to be more people than it has been in previous years because of the excitement of, you know, Eddie George and Deion Sanders being coaches and then bringing talents in, i.e., um, bringing in uh, – uh, Oh, oh, oh! By the way, I didn't, I forgot to tell you as well. Deion Sanders has got one of uh, got a top one of the top corners in the country coming to Jackson State as well. Didn't did forgot to tell you, right? But yeah, he's got that right. coming too. So, you, you, I mean, you, honestly, I mean, I could see more coming. And then honestly, oh, he's got he's also got a three star. He 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 had a cornerback that was committed to a junior college cornerback that was committed to Florida, flipped the commitment to Jackson State. And it was an offensive lineman that was committed to Florida and left and went to Jackson. It was getting ready to go to Florida, but then changed his mind and went to Jackson State as well. So yeah. I think Tennessee State is looking for that type of impact uh, and, and looking for that type of turnaround. And, you know, it could potentially happen. I mean, you've got a, a neighborhood uh, in terms of Nashville and the surrounding areas that is producing more and more talent that's playing on the college level. I mean, way more than maybe 20 to 30 years ago. Definitely, for sure. And Mike, just to, to put a final bow on on this this conversation, uh, I mean, Dion, Florida State. I'm an FSU fan. Uh, Eddie George, of course, um, playing at Ohio State, and, and then of course with the, the Tennessee Titans. And then you mentioned Tyrone Whitley playing the NFL, <clears throat> played at University of Michigan. All Big D one programs, but all coming to HBCUs, that, you know, this, all the perks and all the benefits that you mentioned with the, you know, the, the deals and ESPN, which means more revenue for the, 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 the conferences and the, and the institutions as well, but they still got to win on the field. So do you think that the benefits way outweigh the drawbacks? Because again, until you get to recruits, I mean, you know, Deion could do well with Jackson State. Jackson State. Now we don't know what it's going to be like. We don't know what Eddie George is going to do at Tennessee State and the OVC. Um, you still got to have the, the talent, and you still got to win on the field. So you think that the reward of bringing in the splash, the name, and 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 all the staff is is bigger than the fact that maybe they get in situations and then they don't do well on the field. I think it's worth a try. Um, you know, the thing I look at is, you know, 
basically she used and tried many different things to try to get revenue. And then, you know, you have somebody that's a big name like Dion that wants to come there. I mean, honestly, you give it a try because, you know, it can definitely, it's definitely different than what you have done in the past and previous, you know, and, and, you know, it's definitely better than what you've done in the past. So, honestly, I, I, you know, I like the change of, of pace. I like them trying to do something different because if you continue to do the same things over and over again, that's the definition of insanity. I don't want the, the HBCUs practicing insanity. I want them to practice progression. I want them to practice uh, stepping outside the box. I want them to try some things different to make things happen, not only for the university but for the kids. Because I think um, adding those names, it's not only going to add money to the university and uh, probably a bigger name to the program, it's going to help the rest of the kids at that school as well. With more money flowing in there, that could, you know, be more better facilities. That could be another dorm. Um, that could be better you know, just better overall things going on at the university. And then also another thing I want to point out to you, too, as well, um, an independent study, I don't know if you're aware of this, but an independent study just came back and that the state of, came back and stated that the state of Tennessee owes Tennessee State University over half a billion, not half a million, half a billion dollars, too. So that's wow. something that, you know, is, is, is ongoing as well. So if, uh, you know, I guess if Tennessee State pursues that and goes from there, you know, you, you could be looking at more money coming in just off that alone, let alone with Eddie George being there. Mm, that, that's, a, um, that's some great <clears throat> insight and some information uh, we did not have uh, on this broadcast. Talking with Mike Patton here. SportsAwakening.com, the National Voice covers the AFC South uh, and the NFL. Mike, I, I want to switch quickly before you go. I appreciate your time uh, to the NBA. A couple of uh, quick stories that, uh, before we go. And uh, you look at uh, um, Mr. Aldridge um, announcing his retirement as an irregular heartbeat. You know that can be an issue. It was detected. Uh, he was a seven-time All-Star sort of a sleeping giant, sort of in the, in the, in the way of a, a, a Tim Duncan, certainly not a Tim Duncan Hall of Fame, Tim Duncan, but sort of just kind of put up numbers. And, you know, when he left Portland, he came to, to, to San Antonio, kind of put up numbers, got traded to the Nets. Uh, how does this play out, and what do you see in terms of his career uh, as an NBA player? Honestly, you know, I felt I, I – you know, I was I was completely shocked by the news, but I did remember um, that he has actually been dealing with something like this for a while playing in the NBA. He has, like, different treatments he's been getting. Um, but, you know, of course, you know, at, at some point you got to you gotta fold and you got to, like, hey, I, I trust my I, – I value my health more than playing basketball. So I commend him for valuing his health more than playing basketball. Uh, and if you don't know, if anyone, no one knows, he has the same thing that uh, Reggie Lewis had that uh, passed away on the court. He has the same thing. Right. So, um, you know, I, I, as far as his career, uh, do I think he's going to be a Hall of Famer? Mm, I don't know. I can't really say one way or the other at this point. I mean, he's put up a lot of good numbers, but, um, you know, I, I, does he just give you that wow factor? Not really, but he's been steady. Um, and one thing that uh, Damian Lillard pointed out as well, he, he feels that, they, that the Portland Trailblazers should actually retire his number. So, 
you know, we'll 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 see what happens there. That probably will happen with uh, Lamarcus Aldridge in terms of retiring his number uh, with the important Trailblazers. But I am not sure about a All American. I still remember him and uh, Booby Gibson playing uh, basketball together at uh, Texas. That's how I guess that's I'm showing right. my age a little bit there. But uh, yeah, I still remember that. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. And I, I agree with you in terms of his career. Um, you know, we'll see if, if the, the basketball gods are you know, shine on him in terms of all the fame. We'll, we'll see. Uh, the the other the big news was, you know, this kid Wiseman, who I thought was having a, a, a pretty solid rookie year. The ups and downs as a rookie, but, but certainly helped the uh, – the Warriors in a lot of ways out for the season. They expect him back uh, for next year, but I mean, if the Warriors were the eighth and ninth, tenth seed at this point, do they have any shot at making a playoffs? And, and what do you think of him? Thought of him thus far in terms of the season? Well, honestly, I thought he was a little inconsistent, but that's to be expected. As, as a rookie, right. and especially a rookie that hasn't played very much I mean, in terms of college, um, I, I you know I, I saw flashes of what he's going to be. Hopefully, they continue to include him in the offense and, and use his abilities. Um, you know, as far as the Warriors, I mean, I think they still have a chance to make the playoffs. I think they need one more guy to step up scoring wise. Uh, I think Andrew Wiggins, for as much as I talk about him being inconsistent, he's actually been consistent this year, which, you know, that's a pleasant surprise for the Golden State Warriors. I was going to say, pleasant and, surprise, yeah. <laughs> right. They just need they just need one more guy to actually step up and be consistent scoring. That's the thing that they need. If they get one more guy that can give them something, then I can say, hey, they're going to make the playoffs. I think they're still probably going to make the play-in um, playing games just off the strength of Steph Curry going Steph Curry on people. But other than that, they need somebody else to step up. We know it's not going to be Draymond Green because he's going to get he's going he's going triple and quadruple single you to death. Um as well as uh get you as well as Bark at you too. Um we know it's not going to be Kelly Oubre because you know Kelly Oubre is more of a defender and I I like his game, but he's not necessarily a guy that's going to kill you with this scoring ability either consistently. And, you know, it's just they just need one more guy. They, they're missing Clay Thompson bad right now. That's basically what my whole talk was about. They're missing him bad. I mean, I mean, and you would hope and pray that he comes back and can be a, somewhat the Clay of the Splash Brothers before he had the back-to-back injuries that put him out um, these past years. Final thoughts uh you look at the i i I call it nba power rankings you look at the teams i mean there's teams that some people think shouldn't be surprised utah everybody thought should be good brooklyn with all the the talent they bought in literally um good and i i mean the clippers should be good the lakers obviously Uh, but you know phoenix (laughs) It's, it's playing really good. I mean, it, you know, they, they give up a lot of points, but they score a lot of points. When I mean, you, you look at that team, uh, Denver, um, with their talent, is is, is playing exceptionally well. Um, and my Sixers have been consistent in terms of wins and staying atop 
of the Eastern Conference. What's your top five right now when you look at the NBA, both uh, Eastern and Western Conference? Well, two teams you have to put in there. You have to put in Utah. You have to put in uh, Philadelphia. They're both playing outstanding basketball. Uh, Philadelphia getting back Joel Embiid right now. Uh, I mean, Utah just continues to roll. Having a few blips on the radar, of course, that Washington Wizards game, but they're still continuing to play good basketball. Um, you can't. You got to put Phoenix in there. Um, of course, you got to put Brooklyn in there. So that's Phoenix, uh, Phoenix, Utah, uh, Portland. Excuse me, Phoenix, Utah, Philadelphia, and you got uh, Brooklyn. And just for uh, good measure right now, I can't really include them right now. I would say the Lakers if they were full strength, but I can't put them in my top five at this point consistently. Um, let's see. What else can I put in there? I can put in there, just thinking about the Indy. I'll throw the, uh, I'll throw the Clippers in there because, you know, they're recently actually 7-0 since uh, acquiring – Rajon Rondo. So, and then they won a game yesterday. They didn't even have uh, all of their players. They, they basically they're starting five set out, and they still beat the Detroit Pistons. So, yeah, I'll uh, I'll give them credit and put them in the top five. Now, do I think the Clippers win the uh, West or have a great chance to win the West? No, because if you're depending on Rajon Rondo to come in to be your leader overall this time with the guy named Paul George and the guy named Kawhi Leonard on your team then that just still tells me that they have problems at the point guard position beyond what we what some people want to see or think about. You know, the, the, the final question for you, when you look at uh, three teams that um, you mentioned, you mentioned the Lakers, and I always said as long as the big fellow's healthy, they can win titles, you know, and I don't mean LeBron. Um, the first point um, with them, uh, and and how do you see them finishing out? You don't have to, you know, make champions or anything. Uh, but you look at a team like them. You look at the Clippers, as you mentioned. Uh, is that the piece that they needed to finally get over the hump and dethrone the Lakers and and actually win a title? And then there you have teams that are surging because of uh, a, a lot of, you know, a lot of young talent, like, you know, the the Hawks and Trey Young and what they're doing, uh, uh, assess them because the Hawks have actually been streaking. They've been playing really well over the last, you know, month or so. Uh, assess what they need uh, moving forward. Oh, and the, and the Knicks as well. I'm sorry. Gotcha. Well, as far as the Hawks, man, they just uh... – Need to continue uh, creating that continuity. Continue to defend uh, Trey Young. Continue to get better on the defensive end. I know you're not necessarily a defender, and that's not what you're known for. But hey, take a page from Steph Curry. Try to give a little bit more effort defending and continue to improve there. And if we know you're a small guy, it's okay. At least be feisty. Something on the defensive end. Um, but I had to give him credit there. Uh, the, the Hawks also. I mean, I, I've said this since the beginning. Uh, they need that DeAndre Hunter would be better than Cam Reddish, but I had plenty of uh, plenty of people telling me that Cam Reddish is so great and this, that, and the other. But with DeAndre Hunter back now, I think the, the the Hawks are ready to rock again. And you got they just need John Collins back, which he's out right now or injured. He's injured right now too. So you know, definitely uh, Hunter being back helps. Need, they need Collins back, and they just need to continue to grow and, and build that rotation. 
And, you know, I'm going to say it again. The Hawks fans hate when I tell them this. They need to trade Cam Reddish while his value is even there because he's not going to be a part of the mm. future. He can't stay healthy. He's inconsistent shooting the basketball. Defensive-wise, he does a few things. But, you know, no. DeAndre Hunt is better than he is. You need to let him go. That's just my thoughts. Um, and what was the other team you gave me? <clears throat> the Lakers and who else? I'm sorry. Okay. All right. The Lakers, uh, they just got to get healthy. Um, they do have a shooting. Macklemore has been uh, pretty good for them. Kyle Kuzma has been up and down, but, you know, he still has been consistent on the defensive end of the court. So that's what matters most. Uh, we definitely when he gets to, when they get full strength. So that'll be fine. I'm worried about them. The Clippers, uh, still not sold on this Reggie Jackson, Pat Beverly combo. Uh, one's good offensively. One talks a lot defensively. So, you know, just they, you combine them into one player, you might have a good solid point guard and then two solid point guards. But other than that, you, you're wasting time playing Patrick Beverly to me at the point guard spot. And Reggie Jackson is more of a scorer than an actual point guard uh, to me as well. So that they're still a ways away. <laughs> they don't have that one guy they need. Uh, the Knicks, I enjoyed watching the Knicks play. The Knicks defend. Uh, quickly has a, Emmanuel quickly has kind of tailed off the second half of the season. But, however, he still is a, you know, part of that offense and um, has done well. Derrick Rose has been pretty solid. And Julius Randle has played all NBA level this year. And uh, that's huge for them. He is the key for what they do and how far they can go, honestly. Yeah, and I think I think that he's so underrated. He's one of those guys that just kind of got caught in the middle, and he can trade. Lakers, I think, rule the day when they let him go. I think he's solid for the Knicks. I, I, I agree with you with Derrick Rose bringing that leadership there, playing at a, a level, teaching the young kids there. Uh, and I, I'm, I, you know, I'm a Sixer fan, but I always had a little spot for for the Knicks. So I hope they uh, do well. Mike, before you go, please do let people know. Um, how to follow you and how to reach out to you, sir. Well, you can find me on Twitter at MikePadden82. I'm there pretty much all the time talking any kind of sports and other, other nonsense. <laughs> but uh, you can always find me there. You can find me on the Hatsap. Uh, I'm getting ready to do my show roughly in about a little over 30 minutes. Uh, touring the ASC South. We're talking missing links tonight. All these free agent pickups. Who's still missing stuff and what are they missing? Uh, that'll be on Haps app. That would also be live on Facebook. Uh, also be live on Twitter as well. Uh, that's where you can find me right now. You can find me at Tennessee Tribune as well. If you're at TennesseeTribune.tntribune.com, uh, TheVoiceNational.com as well. Got three articles that I put out this week over there too. Hey, and uh, uh, real quick, somebody asked about Javini uh, and uh, Clowney going to the Browns. What, what, what do you think of that? Real quick. I mean, honestly, I didn't think he was coming back to the Titans. And uh, him lining up opposite of uh, Miles Garrett, he ought to eat and he ought to have his career high in sacks. Yeah, and bad news for the, the Steelers. Um, and old very man bad. Ben. Yeah, very, very bad. Uh, the Steelers, uh, even the Ravens, I think, will take a step back. The Browns are really putting together an arsenal. And they already got all that talent on offense, so we'll see what happens. Michael, love you, man. Be, be safe, be well. I, I'll talk with you next week, man. Thank you, bro. Yes, sir.
This is the Bastion News Radio uh, show on the Bastion News Radio Network, WCOM and Chapel Hill. If you miss any part of our broadcast, make sure you go to our website, thebastionnewsradionetwork.com. Go to the top of the page of the website. You'll see the Bastion News Radio show uh, page. You can listen to all the broadcasts from this show and others right there with our interviews there. Follow us on Facebook at Pad Nation, Pad Nation 2 at Twitter. Uh, and there's also a, a contact info. You can leave your questions, comments, concerns even uh, on our, our page, on our website. Once again, the Bachelor News Radio Network.com, network.com. Uh, that's Bachelor with a T. The Bachelor, B A T C H E L O R, News Radio Network.com. And uh, of course, you can listen to the broadcast on our sister station, WCOM. Uh, in Chapel Hill, North Carolina, WCOMFM.org. Thank you so much. We appreciate you. On the Bachelor News Radio Show and the Bachelor News Radio Network.
Now you can increase your yields by using Conklin's Guardian slow-release nitrogen additive. Guardian holds your nitrogen in the root zone where it's needed over a longer period of time. That, in return, can reduce your nitrogen rates. That saves you money. And whether you want it in a dry or liquid formula, Guardian helps in reducing groundwater contamination, too. So save your money and be a good steward all at the same time by using Conklin's Guardian. If you've got a clogged up nose, simply stuffy. If you've got a snuffly nose, simply stuffy. If the rest of you feel fine, but your nose is out of line, give your schnozzle what it needs, Simply Stuffy. Simply Stuffy, from the makers of Children's Tylenol. It has only the medicine your child needs to make a stuffy nose simply disappear. If you want to smell a rose, get the stuff out of your nose. If you take a serious smile, Simply Stuffy. Simply Stuffy, use as directed. Recovery Month has become widely recognized and does an outstanding job of celebrating recovery, increasing awareness, and acknowledging the amazing work of providers, advocates, people in recovery, and their families. I believe our work together is helping many Americans better understand, seek out, attain, and sustain recovery. What began as a small and very good idea has grown into a national, mainstream, sustained, and systematic public education and support effort, all focused on the message that people recover. Getting the message of recovery right is critical because people take action based on what they hear and see and, most importantly, what they experience. Experience shapes our knowledge, our values, our attitudes, our beliefs, and our action. Of those who recognized their need for treatment but didn't receive care, the number one reason was no health coverage and could not afford the cost. No one in need should be denied the opportunity for treatment and recovery in our country. I want to fill the seat with somebody. Yeah, we dance with somebody. With somebody who loves me. Alexa, play Whitney Houston. Okay. With Amazon Music, a voice is all you need. Get access to over 50 million songs. Download the Amazon Music app today. Blog Talk Radio. Required listening with Amazon Music. Dad Music again. The greatest guitarist of all time. Wait, who? Alexa, add this song to a new playlist. Sure, what's the new playlist name? Jack's Intro to Classic Rock. Adding Stepping Stone by Jimi Hendrix to Jack's Intro to Classic Rock playlist. Amazon Music, the simplest way to listen to the music you and soon he will love. New customers start your 30-day free trial at AmazonMusic.com. Renews automatically. Cancel anytime. Blog Talk Radio. Beyond Healthcare is an in-home healthcare agency focused on providing high-quality service and customer satisfaction for our clients while providing a professional staff that meets all the client's expectations. With over 11 years of service in the industry, Beyond Healthcare Agency goes above and beyond the personal needs of our clients by taking a deliberate approach and interest in making sure all the needs of the client are met. Whether it's Medicaid-related issues, communicating with their caseworkers, and so much more, we assist clients from medical transportation, meal preparation, 
hygiene and grooming to just being a companion in times of need. Medicaid, private pay, and long-term insurance accepted. Daily or weekly care are available upon request. Beyond Healthcare, 2617 Chapel Hill Boulevard, Suite A in Durham, North Carolina is affordable, reliable, and insured. For info, call 919-249-5753. You can email them at homecare at beyondhealthcare.info or visit them at beyondhealthcare.info. Beyond Healthcare Agency, we go the extra mile. You know, before Boost, our phone bill was obscene. So we switched to Boost and got lines for the whole family with unlimited gigs for a much more family-friendly price. It's nice to have a phone bill that doesn't require parental controls. Your family deserves better. Get four lines for only $25 per line, each with unlimited gigs. Plus, get up to four free Samsung J7 perks with six months of Hulu where you can stream all the shows everyone is talking about. All on the super reliable and super fast nationwide network. Boost makes it easy to switch. Switching makes it easy to save. Since Buffalo Wild Wings is always open late, here are a few things you'll enjoy. Buzzer beaters, wings in 21 signature sauces and seasonings, and great deals on food and beer. Grab select domestic draft beers starting at $4. $4 shareables like street tacos, fried pickles, chili queso dip, mozzarella sticks, and roasted garlic mushrooms, and deals on select liquor and house cocktails. Phew, that's a mouthful. Catch all of the late night action. Buffalo Wild Wings, wings, beer, sports. Offers and participation vary. Please drink responsibly. Void where prohibited. I know they're looking. Everyone's staring. A scab from a cold sore is so embarrassing, you feel like everyone notices. Get new Campophonique cold sore treatment for scab relief. The only one targeted for the scab, the worst part of a cold sore. Its special formula provides maximum strength pain relief. Plus, it seals in moisture to help prevent cracking, to promote healing. So now, you'll be noticed for other things. Nice haircut, Lisa. Campophonique stops pain, promotes healing, ends embarrassment. Space. Some regions are vast and empty, other areas we call closets. Fortunately, Kevin from the Container Store has answers. Hmm, right. Kevin, what gives you the power over space? I'd say Alpha Customizable Closets. With free design and Alpha's adjustable shelving and drawers, I can create space in any size closet. Kevin, master of space and closets. Or just Kevin. Plus, right now, save 30% on Alpha and installation and earn up to $500 in credit through February 10th. At the Container Store, where space comes from. Where is that music coming from? Now, your favorite music apps are available on Contour. Go from watching a musical to listening to your favorite music. Enjoy a country western and then a country jam. Or go from action flicks to something that makes you feel like an action hero. Now with Contour from Cox. Blog Talk Radio. Dermarest, the psoriasis solution, asks, What's complete freedom? For me, it's an open road with the top down. It's my bare arms getting warmed by the sun. It's my bare arms without a trace of psoriasis. Complete Freedom, brought to you by the complete relief of Dermarest psoriasis. Unlike brands which only relieve itching and inflammation, Dermarest psoriasis also removes the embarrassing scales, allowing healthy skin to grow. Healthy skin? That's complete freedom. Dermarest, the psoriasis solution. Hardy's Happy Hour isn't your average happy hour. From 2 to 5 p.m., double sliders are only a buck twenty-five. Call it a charbroiled hour, a double beef hour, a whole lot of melty cheese hour. Call it what you want. Happy Hour at Hardy's is a good call. Offer for a limited time and only between 2 and 5 p.m. Price and participation may vary. That's not... Come tap your feet and snap your fingers at the Homegrown Music Fest. All free at the North Carolina State Fair in Raleigh, October 11th through the 21st. Three stages, 120 concerts. Details at ncstatefair.org. Having trouble with math or science homework? 
call Rose Holman Institute of Technology's Homework Hotline, a free math and science tutoring service for Indiana students in grades 6 to 12. Call toll-free 1-877-ASK-ROSE from 7 p.m. to 10 p.m. Eastern Time, Sunday through Thursday. And a Rose Holman College student will help you with your math or science questions. The tutors are patient, smart, and pretty cool. Remember, it's a free service and a free call. That's 1-877-ASK-ROSE or visit askrose.org. Your mother-in-law just dropped in. It's dinner time, and she looks hungry. Time for a quick dinner. Think fast. Think eggs. Like an omelet with tomatoes and cheese. Quick, easy, delicious. So, she loves dinner, compliments your creativity, and finally admits you're not a shameless social climber who stole her baby boy away. All thanks to the incredible edible egg. For other quick dinner, lunch, and snack ideas, visit AEB.org. The incredible edible egg. The American Egg Board. Welcome to Total Wine and More. It's much more than a wine store. It's the eighth wonder of the world. When people talk about Total Wine and More, they get a little carried away. We're just a big, friendly place run by people with a passion for wine, beer, and spirits. 8,000 different wines, 2,500 different beers, 3,000 spirits, and friendly, helpful experts at every turn. You know what? Maybe we are the eighth wonder of the world. Shop in store or online at TotalWine.com. Blog Talk Radio. Have you seen that new plastic coffee container? Did you know it actually absorbs aroma from the coffee? At Maxwell House, we think the aroma should stay where it belongs. In the coffee, not the container. Our steel can won't absorb our rich coffee aroma, and unlike plastic, it's a perfect barrier against coffee's worst enemies, moisture and oxygen. So choose Maxwell House with the fresh steel can and make every day good to the last drop. It's the two megastars summer mashup. The awesome iPhone on the Rockstar Metro PCS Network. Get the iPhone you've always wanted for zero dollars so you can jam without limits. It's a hit. Get an iPhone SE on us when you switch. Metro PCS. Coverage not available in some areas, plus sales tax and $10 activation fee. Requires port of number not currently active on T-Mobile Network or on Metro PCS in past 90 days to an unlimited LTE plan. See store for details and terms and conditions. I'm not going very far. It's too uncomfortable. I'm in a hurry. Sometimes I just forget. There's no such thing as a good excuse for not buckling up. You're not only putting yourself at risk of injury or death, it could also cost you lots of money. Cops are writing tickets, so why take the risk? Do the smart thing and start buckling up every trip, day or night. Click it or ticket. Paid for by NHTSA. Napa know-how. Napa guy knows not to judge a man by his car's multicolor paint job or absence of modern gadgetry. Who cares if it's technically old enough to vote and the windows are powered by the strength of your left arm? Your monthly payment is zero, and it'll stay that way. Because with over 500,000 parts and a little Napa know-how, you can keep anything on the road. She may not be pretty, but she's all yours. That's Napa know-how. Napa know-how. Prevention works most effectively when people understand the risks and consequences. And the risks and consequences of inhalants is clear, but it's not well understood. It's frustrating because the danger comes from vapors found in a variety of very common household products that are legal, they're easy to get, they're laying around the home, it's easy for kids to buy them, 
and it's a problem. Kids and parents don't think of these products as dangerous because they were never meant to be used to be intoxicating, and yet that's what they're used for. When they're intentionally inhaled, they can cause serious harm and even death. Young people, parents, physicians, and others that influence youth need to be aware of this. So we're particularly pleased to have a partnership with the American Osteopathic Association, which is working hard to help us inform physicians to look out for these issues as well. SAMHSA has just released information that among 12-year-olds nationwide, alcohol is the only substance with higher use than inhalants. Inhalants exceed the rate of use of cigarettes, marijuana, hallucinogens, and any other drugs that 12-year-olds may be experimenting with. More 12-year-olds have used potentially lethal inhalants than have used marijuana, cocaine, and hallucinogens combined. So we're approaching 7% of our 12-year-olds in the country that are using glue, shoe polish, air freshener, hairspray, nail polish, paint solvents, gasoline, lighter fluid. These are everyday products with real-life or death consequences. This is Chicago-style hot dog here. I'm not feeling too good. Turns out, along with all the other bad things my cholesterol does, they say it's a risk factor for strokes. Strokes? Sheesh! Good news from National Stroke Association. Exercising, eating right, and asking your doctor about medicines that can help lower your cholesterol like statins may reduce the risk of a first stroke. And if you've already had a stroke, it's even more important you lower your cholesterol. Lower your chances of stroke by controlling your cholesterol. Visit stroke.org today. Taste and health. You want both in one cranberry juice? You want Northland. Northland has a kick to it. I like that. It says 100% juice on their label. That tells me it's healthy. Cranberry raspberry, cranberry grape. I love all their flavors. Northland, a great taste and the health benefits of cranberry. Only Northland has 27% cranberry in all nine of its 100% juice cranberry blends. I choose Northland because it fits my healthy lifestyle. Northland, 100% juice, 100% refreshing. If you're an African-American man, you need to know about oral cancer. Oral cancer is more common in African-American men than in any other group in the U.S. If you have a sore or lump in your mouth that doesn't go away after two weeks, see a doctor or a dentist. Most often, these symptoms don't mean cancer, but it's important to get them checked. If you do have oral cancer, it can be treated more successfully if it's caught early. A message from the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, National Institutes of Health. Hi, it's Jamie, Progressive Employee of the Month, two months in a row. Leave a message at the... Hi, Jamie. It's me, Jamie. I just had a new idea for our song about the Name Your Price tool. So when it's like, tell us what you want to pay, hey, 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 and the trombone goes, blah, 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 and you say, we'll help you find coverage options to fit your budget. Then we just all do finger snaps while a choir goes, statement's coming at ya, statement's coming at ya. Yes? No? Maybe? Anyway, see your practice tonight. I got new lyrics for the rap break. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Sally Beauty's new all-in-one hair color kits make it easy to color your hair at home. Get everything you need to color for beautifully radiant results. Loved by professionals, open to everyone. Sally Beauty. To promote my new flower shop, I had one place print my business cards, another print my brochures, and a third, my signs. Now my roses aren't red, my violets aren't blue, my geraniums look dead, and I don't know what to do. 
Staples can help your business stand out with signs, banners, and brochures that are a true reflection of your company. And now at Staples, spend $50 or more on print and marketing services and get $5 off your next in-store purchase. Now my business is blossoming and I'm spending less green. Exclusions apply. In-store only. And 62318. Blog Talk Radio. May I help you? Yeah, it's this cold. My sinuses feel like they're going to explode. Sudafed, aisle 5. My allergies have my sinuses all stuffed up. Sudafed, aisle 5. Tell the man what's wrong. My sinuses. Sudafed, aisle 5. Sinus misery? Get Sudafed. Nothing stronger at relieving even your worst sinus symptoms. Not even a prescription. This congestion. Sudafed, aisle 5. Sudafed, prescription strength sinus relief. Based on 24-hour dose of pseudoephedrine. Hi, I'm Amanda Pete. Like all new parents, my husband and I want what's best for our baby. When it was time for our daughter's immunizations, we wanted the facts. So we carefully researched vaccines. We spoke with doctors and other experts and asked some tough questions. We decided that vaccines were the best thing for our child. I urge you to get the facts. Learn the facts about vaccines so you can make the best healthcare decisions for your family. Thank you. A message from the American Academy of Pediatrics and vaccinateyourbaby.org. Would you like to know where your family came from? Are you planning a reunion? Is your business celebrating an anniversary? Valerie Metzler, archivist historian, can help. With 34 years of experience as an archivist, preserving and making accessible documents and photographs, and as a historian researching genealogies, Valerie Metzler, archivist historian, can bring your history to life and preserve it for your children's grandchildren. For more information, email her, Mary A-H, at key Econ.net. That's V M S N Mary A H at key C O N N dot net or call eight one four nine three two one seven four zero. Educating people about cancer clinical trials can be tough, and it's especially difficult to convince members of some minority populations about the benefits after years of mistrust about such studies. But the National Cancer Institute's Cancer Information Service, which reaches the public through a network of partners nationwide, has made headway. Recently, CIS members met near Washington, D.C. As Washington-based Assistant Partnership Program Manager Cherie Spencer explains, the service has helped educate local African-American ministers about the positive aspects of clinical trials. When it comes to underserved populations, many communities are likely to trust information from others who look like them and sound like them. Our message is that greater minority participation in cancer clinical trials can help reduce or eliminate disparities. The CIS also reaches out to cancer centers, state health planners, and medical and nursing staff with clinical trials information. As Arkansas Partnership Coordinator Misty Smith adds, the service has found success in focusing on training medical staff. Our train-the-trainer educational programs have been very successful. Indeed, more than 60% of the people who are participating in our programs are doctors and nurses. These are the people who are in direct contact with our underserved populations every day, and they need to know how to discuss this with their patients. And Pacific Region Partnership Program Coordinator Kevin Castle adds that CIS partners have worked to include clinical trials education in health profession curricula. We've reached out to over 1,400 medical and nursing students. We've even reached out to insurers. We have to educate across the healthcare spectrum that interfaces with medically underserved populations. 
It's all part of the same puzzle. To learn more about the Cancer Information Service and clinical trials, visit cancer.gov or call 1-800-4-CANCER. Do you suffer from chronic CFED or can't focus energy drain? Try over-the-counter Vibrant. One tablet contains the same caffeine as a cup of coffee, but without the calories or coffee breath. Vibrant. Caffeine, not coffee. Taking Vibrant may result in increased productivity and decreased dread in setting alarms. Unexpected enjoyment of the graveyard shift has been associated with Vibrant. Vibrant may be a better budget option than drinking coffee. It may also decrease the urge to doze off, skip work, or exhibit signs of slacking. All jokes aside, always read the label, take only as directed, and limit caffeine as it may cause real side effects. Not for children under age 12. Pros in the know start with Lowe's, because at Lowe's, pros can get the latest power tools from trusted brands. Right now, you can buy the new Bosch Core 18-Volt 2-Tool Combo Kit for $229 and get one of three select cordless bear tools free, worth up to $199. Plus, you can save time by ordering online and picking up in-store. Stop by the Pro Desk or visit Lowe'sForPros.com for details. So, pro, now that you know, start with Lowe's. Offer valid through 130 2019 while supplies last, U.S. only. <laughs> 